This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast on AllComic.com, episode 18. We're a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid. And this week we have a special guest. Yes, uh, among a lot of other things we're going to be doing for this episode, but we'll get to them when we get to them. You know, if you listen to the last episode of Manga Mavericks, episode 17, you you pretty much have an idea of what we're going to do. It's the Yusei Matsui episode. Yes, yes, we're finally going to be talking about uh, a particular manga author like we wanted to do uh, for the past couple of months now. Um, but so we have Bobber D. Rufi, uh, quote unquote, unofficial manga translator. You've probably uh, seen him out there uh, on the Internet. If you, you know, if, especially if you read Gintama, that's I think that's that's pretty much what you're known for. Right, B? Yeah, that's what I'm known for, the Gintama guy. <laughs> so. I guess do you do you kind of want to talk about your experience with that a little bit before we get onto the show proper? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, for Gintama, I started translating it. Uh, it's I kind of it's about two thousand seven, two thousand eight, somewhere around there. And while I've pretty much been constantly doing it since then, missing it maybe an arc or a chapter here or there, but. Yeah, I've been constantly doing it since then. Uh, my first experience with translating anything was uh, The Law of Ueki Plus, which was drawn by Tsubasa Fukuchi. And I guess I translated that, a little bit of his second series, Takaku, and the complete um, run of his third series, Anagle Mole. And now I'm currently working on his current series, which runs on Shonen Sunday, Psych Matashitemo, or Psych Once Again. Um... Other than that, I pretty much I do have uh I do work on Tiger and Bunny's manga with a friend of mine, along with Bomberman stuff. Hence the Bomber and Bomber D Rufy. Um and game four comas and pretty much anything that I find interesting I pick up. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, since we're here, I've also translated a little bit of Majin Tante Nogami Nuro, like ten chapters, and two of Matsui's run shots. Tokyo War Department Store Memoir and Recon Chote. Um, I think you mentioned that to me, or I don't, I don't remember if we mentioned it on or off mic, or maybe you talked about it on another show. You, you've been, you've been getting around on podcasts lately. Uh, so I, I think I remember you mentioning how you, you, you almost had the opportunity to start translating uh, Assassination Classroom at one point. Ah, uh, yeah, I did actually when it first started. Since I'd done a little bit of Neuro and the uh, two of Matsui's one shots. I thought I, w- I, when Assassination Classroom had been announced, I said, oh, well, maybe I'll get on this. When I was like partway through the first chapter, somebody else beat me to it. So <laughs> <laughs> I just, at that point, figured, oh, well, let them do it. <laughs> yeah. And just to clarify, this, this was, this was way before it ever got picked up by Viz. And like, this was when it like first premiered in Shonen Jump. <clears throat> yes. This was when it, when it first appeared in Japan. And, you know, before it got any kind of traction or anything. So that's happened to me a lot, <laughs> getting <laughs> usurped. <laughs> and, and, and now look at it. Uh, Assassination Classroom was nominated for an Eisner. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a big series. I mean, not just in Japan, but in the U.S. too. I mean, unfortunately, it, it didn't won. I, I think Showa won that. We reported on that a little while ago, right? But, and that was a well-deserved victory, but, you know, no, just no, no, being course, nominated was pretty incredible, too. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of love for Assassination Classroom, and that's why Yusei Matsui will be at New York Comic Con this year. 
yeah, if you're um, if you're listening to this, hopefully we could um, we can get this up either the day before or the day of uh, you say Matsui's panel at New York Comic Con. Uh, we figured since he's coming to New York, and uh, I'm sure by the time this is out, Siddle have hopefully had the chance to uh, to visit his panel. Yes, and, and, and maybe and maybe get that volume of uh, Nero signed for me. Hopefully, oh, maybe. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I ordered that volume of Nero, but it might not come in time. So no. <laughs> oh, jeez. But but I'll send you an assassination classroom volume for sure. I was I was gonna say I'll I'll accept either one or both. I've I, I'm still kind of shocked that you even offered to do that for me anyway. That is that is really nice of you. You will get something signed by Monsui, my friend. Well, well, thank you. I I really appreciate that, Sid, and I and I mean that too. But yeah, at the end at the end of the show, I think we'll run down just you know where uh, to find Matt's me and New York Comic Con this year, uh, the panels he'll be having, and you know uh, also the offsite uh, places that you can go to get uh, some things signed by him and meet him. So we'll do that at the end of the show. So, with all that being said, yes, we are going to be talking about Yusei Matsui and his, uh, and, and some of his works. Um, so some of us are, have been, uh, you know, kind of revisiting some of his, uh, you know, works such as Nero and Assassination Classroom and, uh, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, we, f- we figure, like we said, you know, earlier in the run of our show, we, we, we wanted to take it upon ourselves to actually, you know, take our listener feedback into consideration and actually maybe do something new with the show talk about a particular author that me and Sid both like, maybe kind of chronicle through some of their work a little bit. And like we said, you know, like, it, it, especially since, you know, uh, Yusei Matsui is going to be coming to, uh, co- going to be coming to the States soon. We figured we might as well take the opportunity to talk about him. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, if we hadn't said it already enough, you know, Yusei Matsui is pretty much the author of both Nero Supernatural Detective and assassination classroom his his more popular work it seems nero i don't think had a i don't think had a huge following it, it had enough of a following to run for like 200 chapters in shonen jump it ran for a while i think 200 chapters is four years yeah that's a really good run i mean you know it, it just didn't catch on i guess because the anime didn't like attract as many heads back then and the manga didn't get licensed so it didn't get into a lot of people's hands or you know was seen by a lot of people as Assassination Classroom was later, because, you know, that got a pretty popular anime, and then Wiz also released a manga over here, and that, you know, was very popular, too. So, Assassination Classroom has just had more exposure over here in the West. Well, if I remember correctly, over in Japan, like, Assassination Classroom is already selling extremely well, even before it got picked up in the States. Yeah, and that's why Wiz picked it up, I think, because Assassination Classroom was kind of like an instant hit when it uh, first premiered in Jump. Pretty much. In, yeah, in Japan. It was, like, always at the top of the rankings, and, like, the volume sold really well. It was in the top ten for a best-selling manga of the year for, I think, pretty much every year it was running. So, yeah, it was it was extremely popular and extremely successful. Yeah, I, I, had, I had heard at one point that Viz was even, I mean, the idea of, you know, students trying to kill their teacher to kind of turn Viz off. Yeah, yeah, they mentioned that in the Shonen Jump podcast once, like they were skeptical, you know, they would license it or add it to their digital Shonen Jump because, you know, because of the concept and how that might not be, you know, totally PC. But, you know, with how successful it became, you know, they decided, okay, we can't ignore this. Let's take a chance on it. And, you know, not a whole lot of controversy, but a whole lot of success for Viz. So they did the right yeah. thing there. 
I'm still waiting for the day when, like, something happens in the news and, like, I don't know, uh, whatever, insert unpopular news group here reports on something like, oh, a kid shot up his school, uh, uh, but they said they read Assassination Classroom and that's what inspired them to do so or some stuff because I... That 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 kind of stuff happened in the news before. I remember specifically finding a news article about how how like a a small girl burnt her house down with her family still inside it, and like uh, said that it was because she read like Soul Eater or some some I shit. Don't know how like, you get that from Soul Eater? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's, <laughs> wow. it's it's like it's it's like the thing where people are like, video games make you violent. Why you shouldn't play Doom three and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I know there's plenty of kids who imitate the Death Note and write names of you know people they don't like in their little Death Notes, and there's yeah, but that doesn't mean it's gonna work. Getting injured trying to imitate Naruto, and you know those are really dumb. But yeah, I don't. I honestly, I don't think Assassination Classroom. Is gonna inspire you know any too many dangerous imitators just because of the nature of the series and like kind of how the the series itself you know questions you know you know maybe it's not right to kill people you know that uh, killing people is a pretty weighty thing you really need to think about if that's something you want to you know do and burden yourself with so you know that's a big theme in the series so I think anyone who any kid who you know reads Assassin's Classroom and absorbs that story is gonna be like. I don't know. I don't know if I really want to kill someone. So yeah, yeah, yeah pretty yeah, much. Exactly. Uh, I'm trying to th- think about real quick where I want to start with this. So I guess you know, like we said earlier on in the show, if you don't know who Yusei Matsui is and you haven't read his works, first off, shame on you. You need to go fix that. And second, um, Matsui pretty much got his start actually as a um, as an assistant on Bubba 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 Bubba. So if you if you read his first work, uh, Supernatural Detective Nero, like if you read that and Bobo side by side, I think a lot of like uh, the facial reactions from both look very very similar. Oh yeah, you can definitely tell that, and you know uh, the facial expressions that Matsu draws, especially you know shock reaction faces, they're very reminiscent of kind of the shock reaction faces in Bobo. You know how beauty will always have this big mouth agape like. Uh, face with you know these really square square jaw kind of design big bulgy eyes big bulgy eyes yeah pointed teeth and all that that's something Moxie likes to employ too in both Nero and Assassination Classroom but definitely also it's very noticeable in Nero because Yako is kind of kind of fills that same kind of role as beauty in terms of reacting to Nero's kind of weird shenanigans a lot of the time, especially especially early on. And um, if you don't know what Supernatural Detective Nero is, or Majin Tante Nogami Nero, as uh, most people probably uh, refer to it as, it's essentially Yusei Matsui's uh, first work in Weekly Shonen Jump, I believe premiered in... 2005? 2004? Yes. I think it might have been 2005. Somewhere around there. Um, and it, it's a series essentially about this demon from hell named Nogami Nero, who essentially, he likes to solve mysteries and puzzles, but more so because he likes to eat the, basically the energy that it exude from solving a puzzle. And that's basically what he lives off of. That's his sustenance. And essentially, he's like, well, 
I've solved all the mysteries in hell. I'm going to go to the human world and try to find some mysteries there. And that's essentially the basic premise of the show. And, you know, he eventually meets up with uh, with Katsuragi Yako, who is just a, a normal high school girl who likes to eat a lot. And that's the joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, basically, her and Nero run into each other at some point, and Nero basically uses her as a front to open up a uh, a detective agency so he could find more mysteries to eat. And again, that's the, kind of the basic premise of the series. Um, I should I should point out that Nero's name actually means brain eater Nero. Yeah, no, I mean, it's no from Neuron. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, it's from Neuron, and it's actually, the series is actually what it says on the tin, you know, Demon Detective Brain Eater Nero is what it translate the title translates out to be. So <laughs> see, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I remember. Um, I remember when I first read the series, and I I was talking to my friend who got me into it, and they, uh, I guess friends, uh, plural, uh, would always get on me for pronouncing it as Nero. And uh, and like they would be like, let's oh, pronounce Nero, get it right. And I'm like, but but. The, but uh, like uh, there's a villain later who literally call- refers to him as child of the neurons and he and he ex- and he explains the connection with his name and okay i guess i'm wrong sure whatever <laughs> uh people can be pretty anal about name pronunciations uh, pretty much Even yeah it should be kind of obvious how it's pronounced but whatever yeah so i'm i'm kind i'm kind of interested in like how the both of you well I probably have an idea of Sid. Have you had you had any experience with the series before before we started Manga Mavericks or whatnot? I had never read it before uh, we decided to do the Yusei Masui episode, and I read it Stuart for this episode. But I always heard very good things about it. Uh, you know, I followed Weekly Manga Recap for years, been a fan of that, and one of the hosts there, Rolo T. You know. Uh, he mentioned, you know, Nero is one of, you know, his favorite manga, and, you know, they did an episode on it once, and they talked about, you know, kind of the story where he, in general terms, like, not too much spoilers, but they always mentioned, you know, something that was very interesting to me, you know, how, how creepy and how, like, well-crafted the villain Six was. So I always knew, going, going into Nero, I always had that expectation about Six in particular, and what kind of villain he would be. And definitely, you know, uh, he Six himself surpassed my expectations from what I even thought, which was a pleasant surprise. But I always heard good things about Nero, and especially about, you know, its villains, and, you know, that, you know, it would go to some very dark places, places that were surprising for Shonen Jump manga. And yeah. You know, I was, I was always something that was on my to-read list, but I just never eventually came around to actually reading it until uh, we decided to do this episode. But I'm def- I, I definitely wish I had gotten to read it earlier, because Neuro is a really fantastic series, and uh, I, I, we can go on from there, but I guess we'll go on to how Bomber got into uh, Nero. Okay, um, I actually don't remember, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, well, it probably was the same way I got into Gintama, which is, there's Manga Helpers, which is a place where manga translators go to post their stuff, and back before Sharisha got really kind of, you know, anal about their properties, rightfully so, um, 
they used to post there used to be of course there was one piece bleach naruto uh, that that got all the press and then there used to be i guess one guy that posted the rest of shonen jump <laughs> so you could download chapters of other series in the magazine so f- when i heard about gintama getting an anime i you know went to f- to that thread and i got gintama chapters from there and i just started randomly reading other series in jump and Nero was running at the time so, and of course, that was back when I didn't really understand Japanese too well. So, other than the freaky shock expressions, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> so, for a while, I just, that's all I had in Neuro was just that look freaky. And then I guess eventually it started getting scandalated by Anonymous. And then that's when I started reading it like in English. And then I had a little bit more of appreciation for it. But Anonymous only did the chapters per volume. So, it wasn't like manga like One Piece and bleach and whatever where they did it every week anonymous would wait for the volume to come out and then they'd scanlate the entire volume then at one point you know i was translating gintama and i felt pretty comfortable with my progress on it and i was like i can take another jump series so i started translating neuro and that lasted about 10 weeks because the thing about it is there's a private raws that scanlation groups get by paying for them, and they have somebody in, in, uh, some insider or something. And then there's the public raws, which is, I guess, some guy at a Kinko's sh- scanning jump while hoping nobody sees him. <laughs> <laughs> and so the raw quiet, the raw quality was like really bad. Like Nero was, it started out okay, and then it just got to poop smear. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I just stopped translating at that point because I could literally not read what was going on. So. I just had to stop after like 10 chapters. I think I translated the Genuine arc. Yeah, I remember seeing your name on those chapters. Yeah, I I translated the Genuine arc, and then I really wanted to keep going. It was up until like when they they went fishing or something like that. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And it was that, that was the last chapter I did, because, or the chapter before that, because after that, I just could not read the Raws anymore. And I wasn't like translator capable enough to like kind of just, because I, well, if I'm to go in there, I had to go into how the Japanese language works, so I'm going to stop there. But <laughs> I I just wasn't experienced enough to read the raws like that, so I had to stop. And then I just finished reading it via Anonymous's translations. I actually have the whole series in Japanese on my phone that I bought from Amazon, um, Amazon Japan, because they have a really nice digital manga thing, so I can read the whole series whenever I want to. So that that's basically how i was gonna read neuro but i never got around to it when colton announced on twitter he was gonna read i was like oh let's read it together we could be reading buddies and it just i, I abandoned my i abandoned my bro. yeah and I, I was pretty much alone <laughs> thanks I'll re- I, I, I will remember that no except i won't i don't care um it'll be fine <laughs> uh, to be fair i i like i like getting the things at my own pace so i completely understand just not because as as uh, anime and manga fans know it's always hard to get around to things when you want to yeah yeah that's basically how it goes. But, I mean, I feel kind of silly because my story isn't really as interesting. I, uh, <laughs> it was actually around the time I, I'm trying to remember when I got it because I know, I know the game was released in 2006, but I don't think I got it until about, oh boy, I remember getting it during Christmas. I just don't remember what year. I want to say I got I got this around when I was still in high school, and I think when I was like just starting high school, uh, around Christmas time, my mom actually got me a copy of uh, of Jump Ultimate Stars for the DS. Nice. 
Probably one of the best Christmas gifts I've ever got. I have that. I got that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was I was playing that for a long time. Like I, I got to a point where like I uh, it was so this is kind of off topic, but like when I was playing the game, I don't think I had a printer at the time, or I like no, I remember what it was. I found a walkthrough for the game, but like of course it was like. If I actually printed it out, it would have been, like, 40 pages, and I didn't <laughs> want to do that. So, I, like, I would actually write down all of – all of. I still have, like, a notebook around somewhere in my room of, like, of all the quests and stuff in that game and, like, what uh, – and, like, of all the, like, special requirements and stuff. I have I have all that written down, like, a single uh, three-spiral uh, notebook or whatever. Um, I wrote all of that by hand. That was that was the worst. Wow. Um, <laughs> got it around somewhere. I'll have to look for it later. I, I I revisit the game every once in a while when I'm bored. And I'm like, man, I remember this game was fun, uh, and I still have memories of like bringing it over to like uh, my free periods during class, and people would be like, oh my god, you could use Ichigo to fight Naruto. What's this? <laughs> those weren't those weren't the vivid characters I'd be excited about, like. Uh, I mean, for me, it would probably have been Bobo, and then some really obscure characters that, you know, I might not have read their series of, but I'd still really like, like Kunikuman or whatever. Yeah, but the people I went I went to school with only knew of, like, those three, and maybe yeah. heard of One Piece, or, like, you know, thought One Piece was quote-unquote gay, or whatever <laughs> high schoolers used to oh, call stuff. I don't know, that kind of thing, but... I mean, it's funny that that, that game, I, I played the first one... And then I got the second one. I actually got the cartridge for it. Mm. It's funny because nobody other than me could read or understand Japanese. So I was playing the game, and then my friends were like, "Oh, that's cool!" Like one of my friend, one of my biggest achievement, my biggest life achievements, will be getting my friend who's not into anime or manga, doesn't know any Japanese, but he got into the game and bought it because of me. Wow. <laughs> so he 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 like knew nobody. Like he's one of those guys that like crunches numbers and it's really strategic yeah so he like built all of these super great decks but he had no idea who any of the characters were he was just like okay sword guy a is really good in this deck so i'm gonna put him on and then there's the stretchy guy b so i'm gonna use him I mean, he basically played it like a fighting game yeah he played it like a fighting game but he couldn't read japanese and he doesn't wasn't i mean he was asking me what are the name of these characters and then he did actually go in the end and like research a few of them like he knew about saikakake uh otokojuku he like one visit i went there he was like oh i like these guys and then the next time i went to go see him he was like he knew he didn't know the whole series but he was pretty well versed in it so i, I felt kind of proud at that point because i was all, like <laughs> And he actually now now he's like a little bit interested in jump series because he was like oh well I like these guys but I don't know who they were and everything like that yeah I, that that's kind of, that's kind of what happened to me too is because I I got like I think I I got that game around like I I wasn't really too deep in the manga fandom at that point I had only recently maybe like two or three years ago really learned what anime was. I didn't know what I didn't had no idea what anime was actually until about 2007. I just thought Naruto and One Piece were just these really cool cartoons on Toonami. And um when I got Jump Ultimate Stars, that opened up a whole new world. That was that was that was really fun at the time. I didn't know what I didn't know what most of these series were. You know, I knew what the big ones and I I even kind of kind of knew what Gintama was kind of I definitely wasn't into it back then. Um, but I mean, one of the first characters I used was Nero, because Nero is a playable character in that game, which I think is 
still amazing to this day. I, I wish I wish he could have been playable in um in J Stars, but Yeah, they made him a support. Yeah, that that's kind of a shame. I would have liked to have him playable, but you know, for the longest time I had that game and you know, I played as Nero, but I didn't know anything about his series or who he was until you know, a friend of mine, I showed her Jump Ultimate Stars, and she was like, oh, you could play as Nero? And I'm like, oh, is he, is, is that series good or whatever? And she was like, yeah, you should read it. And then I read it, and that's pretty much my story. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was, I, I don't even really remember when I read Nero. Like, I read, I remember there was a time in my life when I had, like, some kind of really boring business class, and we were, like, on our, on computers all the time, and, um, I think, like, whenever I got my work done, it was always a goal of mine in that class to get my work done so I could read both Nero and Fist of the North Star at the time. Those were, like, the two series I was really into at the time, besides, like, I Shield 21. I read a lot of my favorites back then. Um, those, those were good times. I remember high school, just reading manga, not making any friends, except <laughs> I did actually make friends. Um, no, but, um, I guess, I guess, uh, what, do, what do we all think of Nero? It, just in general, um, I guess we'll start with you, Bobber. I I thought of it as like I didn't really think of it as a mystery series as much as it was a really interesting character study on like well the idea of being hungry and going to a certain length to satisfy your hunger. Yeah, you know, it, it it felt like to me to call it mysteries being really generous. Yeah, because I feel like it it, <laughs> it 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 did start off being a legitimate mystery series, but I feel like Natsui. I remember reading an interview where he was like. The reason why Nero has all those freaky shots and like kind of weird like perspective shots and everything is because I can't draw. <laughs> so <laughs> Somatsu was like, I just kind of took that and made it a made it a part of my art style. So being unable to draw became my art style. <laughs> so I mean, sure hides the fact that he had limited drawing ability just in terms of like cause he has a real knack for panel layouts and then perspective shots and like twisting the art to like make it have such an impact like even in those early chapters like i remember being like floored by uh the aya asia arc and like during the chapter like where it shows you know how she you know killed her two like manager friend managers friends and whatever like that's an incredible sequence like how he you know showed that showed both of those murders side by side and then that final panel like where she looks like she has, like, kind of four arms and, like, it's this perfect symmetrical, like, shot of her that looks just utterly chilling. Like, I just, I was in love with that chapter and the art in that. And, like, I was really impressed yeah. with what, 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 what the kind of in, crazy inventive things he did with the art in Euro. Like, even if he had, if, it is kind of obvious, like, he had a, had some weak draftsmanship, but, like, his sense of compositions, like, his, you know, uh, his ability to create, like, these disturbing images and, you know, use shading and use panel layouts and, you know, the layout of the page to his advantage was just very masterful. So, I mean, he is an incredible artist. He might not have, like, as strong a draftsmanship ability as someone like, uh, I don't know, Baronson, but, like, he's still, like, really talented just in terms of in terms of creating like these incredibly unforgettable images yeah that that's definitely his strength i love the whole 
and the one thing he does is the picture in picture thing that I really like where like the characters are talking and then they'll have like this bizarre image illustrating what they're talking about in the background. I, I really like that he does that. And that was one thing that drew me into Nero. Like it was like, I, I forget exactly what they were talking about, but it was like one where it was Sasazuka, like Nero talking about his plans with Sasazuka and it's like in the background. It's like him and Sasuke are both like huge buff wrestlers. They're like choke slamming. <laughs> they're like choke slamming Yako. <laughs> and it's like I love that Nero, that Matsui does that. And like in the background, they'll have this weird, completely seemingly unrelated thing to what they're talking about, but it is related. And it's it's just like your eye is all over the page in the Matsui thing. You can't just there's no static backgrounds in his stuff yeah i think that's definitely a thing he picked up from his experience with sawai because sawai is also a mangaka who doesn't have the best draftsmanship and you know so and his art might not be the best looking but he had this great sense of you know energy to his yeah. artwork and you know conveying like the like having so much going on that was just made you want to flip the page like he had a good sense of compositions like a good sense of timing like within the comic medium that you know made whoa, 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 you know still such a great fun read so I think he definitely picked up a lot of skills from working with Sawai that really helped. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I just want to correct from earlier, I said Bronson. I, I meant Ryochi Ikigami. Bronson was a writer, not an artist. Ah, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Ikigami being, uh, I think, the artist for Crying Freeman? Yes. Uh, Ikigami is very notable for his like very highly uh, detailed artwork. And that's like his claim to fame, and he, he's done where a lot of collaborations with Bronson. So that's, ah, okay. I kind of mixed those two up. Uh, but were you going to say Bomber? No, I was just going to say yeah. I I think that definitely another thing that stuck out for Nero is the fact that it's just so weird when compared to everything. I think I don't want to give Matsui too much credit for this, but I think he did kind of usher in this thing where it was like okay for your manga to look really weird and just out there when compared to other like i mean you have oda with one piece where his designs are very stretchy and everything like that and i mean he claims tom and jerry's a, a is a, a influence of him and you can tell with the way the one piece's freak outs and everything like that work but like then you have it was just like one piece and then you have everything else that looks pretty standard anime manga ish and then you have Nero, which is just like, what is this really? <laughs> and I, and I love that about Nero. I, the thing that kept me reading was not, was again, and I really think another thing that Matsui is really good at is just that taking a premise that sounds like it make no sense. I mean, a demon that comes from hell and eats mysteries. <laughs> and I mean, like slushies. <laughs> and, and then you have, a super being from space that comes to teach his students while avoiding them, avoiding being killed by them. <laughs> super, I mean, or not from space, excuse me, but a super being that comes and teaches a class while asking his class to kill them, kill him. And it's just like, these things don't make sense or they shouldn't. But then Matsui like has this way of just, I, I'm all looking forward to whatever he'll bring next. Cause I know 
art-wise and putting aside art and everything else, I know the premise is just going to be something that's so outlandish and out there, but he'll make it work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even looking at his one-shots, like, Matsui has such a wealth of inventive ideas that he can really... You think that, oh, no, this can never work, but he makes it work. Like, he knows how to execute it just right so you can go, yeah, I'm on board with this. This is actually kind of awesome. And definitely, you know, kind of to go back to Nero, when you say, like, it's not very much a detective kind of series, but more of a psychological character story, I definitely agree with that. I feel like, especially a lot of people have compared Nero to Conan, I feel, but compared to Conan, you don't really, you're not really able to solve a mystery alongside Nero. Like, you don't get enough clues, you don't get enough, uh, hints, you know, to be able to solve the case yourself. That's true, yeah. Like you would in Conan, but what's interesting about the, you know, cases and stories in Euro is kind of how they study, how they you know, uh, go deep into the human psyche, specifically a criminal psyche, and see what makes them tick and, like, why they did this, you know, horribly atrocious crime. And, like, he exaggerates them and, like, makes, uh, you know, these criminals, once they're find out, grow these grotesque faces and become, like, almost monsters in appearance. But it's really interesting the way he does that, because... For a lot of uh, these criminals, like, what drives them is something, like, really, like, simple or, like, some really base desire, like, that actually feels very human. And so the way that, uh, you know, Monster goes about exploring kind of what makes human beings sick and, like, why they would go to such, you know, extreme lengths just to satiate this hunger they have, this desire they have, it's very interesting. And it, it, it does form a very interesting contrast to Nero because he's very much doing the same thing, like with his, uh, you know, he going to the human world and solving mysteries for the sake, you know, because he needs to eat mysteries to live. That's, you know, his food. So it's very interesting the way that Matsui, you know, explores that concept and the kind of things he kind of delves into, like, the deep, darkest, you know, recesses of the human mind and, like, what drives someone to become a criminal. And then that, you know, pays off expertly once we get into the new bloodline stuff and then, you know, exploring the darkest, most kind of evil parts of humanity and, like, kind of, like, what can drive a human being to do such evil, monstrous things. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because, like, it's an arc about a bunch of people who are trying to weaponize evil, not use weapons for evil, but to turn evil into a weapon. <laughs> and they believe that they are a, a race that has evolved beyond humanity because of the orthogenetic evolution of evil attempt. And the way Monster goes about explaining, like, all of these, you know, characters is that, you know, he goes back to historical examples of, like, some of the most awful, like, atrocious things people have done in history and say that over the course of, you know, history, you know, this evil within people just kept growing and growing and it produced, like, these people who you might not even be able to call human beings anymore because their way of thinking is just so, you know, skewed and just so different from human beings that they don't even see other human... They don't see themselves as human and they see human beings as as some other, like 
entity that they can play and like destroy and eventually you know we find out that like most of the most of these guys are kind of like delusional they kind of you know went along with this because they wanted to believe like they were like special that they were not really human like they wanted to believe that they were this something else but the main villain Styx is definitely the most a product of evil so much so that you might not even be able to call him human at all because he is he six represents the absolute worst in humanity to the point that you can't even call like him human anymore he is like a monster and he is like the absolute uh, worst humanity ha- has ever produced and you know kind of might serve to be its downfall and so it's very interesting you know the conflict against Six because it's a fight against the very worst of humanity itself that threatens to doom humanity. I think the best scene in the manga that illustrates this uh, the best, kind of redundant, uh, is uh, I, I still remember this vividly from the first time I from from my first read through of Nero was when uh, is when Nero meets up with Six to kind of discuss their points of view and their different ideologies and kind of what yeah. they stand for. Yeah, over tea. Pretty much. Like, they're having this conversation with each other. It's, like, kind of like they're they're just talking, like, their ideologies with each other, and then, you know, Six kind of tries to prove a point, like, he can manufacture mysteries, like, he can manipulate human beings, like, to do what he wants, and he, you know, on his command, he just snaps his fingers, and, like, all of a sudden, this building right next to where Nero and Six are having tea, like, a bunch of people just commit murders all at once, and it's just horrifying! Yeah, he just does it, like, like, you would expect somebody who brings, you know, you're having your friend over for food, and you're like, oh, I got some pizza. That's how he does it. He's like, oh, I know you're hungry, Nero, so let me get some food for you snaps his finger a bunch of people die can you solve my mystery nero i killed this guy but i don't in a locked room can you explain that and it's just like he does it like you would prepare food for guests yeah and it's so messed up and one thing that just solves it is the look on nero's face that absolute disgust that like this is wrong like he is a demon from hell who like I mean, as the series goes on, we we see that Nero does have a huge appreciation for humanity and their and like the complexities of the human mind and heart and their ability to evolve, especially. And we see in that movement like the disgust that you know Six took away, like manipulated these people and took away like lives for like almost nothing. And he's like that a demon from hell is so disgusted at what this guy did. Like, it just really hammers the point in home. Like, Six is just true evil. Like, evil in the most absolute sense. And when we learn his backstory later, like, how as a baby, he was given this razor. And overnight, he killed all the other babies in the infirmary. Even as a baby, Six was evil from the very beginning. And what I what I love about this is like growing up, um, I didn't like this idea of pure evil characters. I thought that wasn't like realistic. I didn't I didn't find that believable. But over time, I've kind of come to appreciation. And like, there's this really amazing scene that I think 
that really sells me on this idea in Nero is that where Kazai, who is basically Six's right hand man, he visits his nephew and he, you know, explains to him like there's this whole half baked idea, you know, there's these of villains who like have you know these tragic saw backstories, a sympathetic side to them, and that's kind of dumb. Like there's no this that's that's not real. That it's actually more believable for people who are just twisted who have this who are driven by these by pure desire to do something bad and in six is the ultimate embodiment of that because he is just the pure evil of humanity uh embodied like and he and that pure evil of humanity now threatens to destroy humanity and that's why nero and yako have to stop him can I just say something about that exchange with uh, with Kasai and his uh, and his nephew? I it's 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 even funnier when like I because like that is that is a that is an interesting point and discussion that they have. But I also I also saw it as like a commentary on like um, what is it? I guess the evolution of antagonists in jump manga. <laughs> I mean that's true. It is also I mean there's a lot of like kind of clever like commentary in Nero. You guys are making me want to read this again. <laughs> you, you, you're making me want to read this again now. I wanted to anyway, but now I, because I, I, I hate to say it, but I don't remember this conversation. <laughs> I mean, I remember it happening, but I don't remember what they said. <laughs> so the way Nero explores the concept of evil and the and the concept of humans, human beings' capacity for evil, what drives him to do evil and the evil we are all capable of, but also the good we are all capable of, and also the poten- our potential as people and why it's wrong to rob anyone of that potential. The way Monster explores those themes and the way that it's executed in the story is just phenomenal. And that new Bloodline arc, which encapsulates all that and pays off on basically these ideas that have been building up through the entire series, is what really put Nero over the top for me. And it's like, this is like one of the best shonen jump manga I've ever read in six is one of the best villains in any manga that I've ever read in just how they presented the story and like how they fulfill their purpose thematically and just as characters in themselves. And that one scene I just want to mention just that illustrates this idea of, you know, human potential and like the, how wrong it is to rob people of that potential just perfectly is when DR floods the city. And then we see two scenes. One is this scene of like us, uh, son planning to murder his father and then we have another scene about this son who's welcoming his father home and so there's two very different contrasting things here like we have this one scene of someone planning to commit a murder and then just another scene of you know some family you know planning to have a nice evening and then both of those situations are wiped out all those characters all those people die and you know, even though what what there was like a bad situation going on, it's like the the tragedy of it is like we don't know uh, those people all had potential in their lives to go on and do something great, and there was like so much potential, so much they could have done in their lives, and that was just all taken away just in an instant. And it's actually hor- really horrifying to think about it. And you know, neuro consciousness of how the mystery is you know, gone, and he's like, it shocks him, like, he, it's, it's, it's really affecting how, how Matsui frames, like, 
that it's just not right to rob someone of their life and rob some of their potential to do whatever they can in life. Because, yeah, there'll be people who are going to do terrible things, but there are also people who could go on to do great things. And then in that instant, all of that was just wiped out. And that scene wow. is just so impactful. I mean, wow. I'm going to have to read Nero again now. <laughs> I think it's no, I think it's no, uh, I think it's no shock that DR gets the most brutal, like, treatment from Nero by far for what he did that was in gratifying. terms of the fight. And it's so satisfying to see that too, because Oh my god, that scene. I'm actually just... on my phone now putting pulling up Nero. <laughs> so excuse me guys, I know we're recording, but I'm gonna read Nero while you're talking. Is that okay? Cool, thanks. <laughs> I really do think that in terms of <laughs> in terms of how it approaches its teams and executes them, this is easily one of the finest Shonen Jump mangas and one of the smartest written. And I would put like the new Bloodline arc like kind of on the same level, actually even higher than Chapter Black from Yu Yu Hakusho, which I know for a lot of people who are listening to this who hold that arc in high regard might be shocking, but I really do think that what this arc does to explore you know, it's teams of evil and human evolution and then human you know, capacity for... You know what I want to see at some point that somebody should do a podcast for is just... Or not even a podcast or just have a conversation about is... Because there's another arc... Because you just... You brought up the author. But there's another arc that does the same kind of idea with human evolution and evil. I want to see somebody talk compare this to the, compare, to the Chimera Antark. Oh yeah, that's another great comparison too. I feel like that's more apt than the chapter black arc because Togashi does kind of the same thing with the Chimera art and arc, and it's highly regarded for the Hunter Hunter. I mean, pretty much when the new anime was announced, that's what everybody was looking forward to was the Chimera and arc. I was I was comparing uh, New Bloodline and Chapter Black just because in the way that the New Bloodline and Sensui and his psychics are set up, and they have good parallels between each other because they're they're both groups who are trying to destroy humanity because they see themselves as above humanity. Humanity as something that. Is, That's true. You know, uh, not worthy of existing. And, you know, they have different, uh, perspectives on that. In the New Bloodlines case, they think that humanity is beneath them as a new race of people who have, you know, evolved and surpassed humanity. And in, uh, Chapter Black's case, Sensui and Psychics believe that humanity is just capable of evil and that's why they must be destroyed because they don't have the capacity to uh, for they I mean they don't have they have done just so many horrible things in their past that they don't have the right to exist anymore in that sense we sing so is that it, it's interesting because they have they're coming from different perspectives like Sensu and Saigas believe they are doing this for the greater good whereas the new bloodline is doing is like self-aware that they are doing this for the greater evil and it's just really interesting parallels, like how those how those series tackle the same things in those arts, but they frame it in, in with different like antagonists who are, have a different have different goals. And it's just really and it's that that that's just really interesting to me, and that's why I drew those comparisons because I found the parallels between them very fascinating. I mean, Neuro is one of the very few Shonen Jump manga. It might be one of the only I've ever read. Where not only do the, are there consequences for when the heroes lose, but the consequences are deaths of thousands of people. Like Neuro fails to save people, 
it, and when he fails to save people, he fails to save thousands of people. Thousands of people lose their lives. And it is tragic and horrifying every time that happens. Yeah, there is that. There is that. And, and I agree with you on that one because I feel like the one thing that Hunter Hunter didn't, because actually a lot of people died during the Chimera and Ark. And I'm not trying well, to go tit for tat. Yeah, I'm not trying to go tit. the level of Nero. Oh, yeah, I'm like not trying to go tit. city being, this, being wiped out. I'm not trying to go tit for tat. I'm not trying to say that one did it better than the other. I'm just comparing them. But I just feel like the thing is with Togashi's narrative a lot of the time, too, is that death is just sort of a thing that happens. <laughs> so it's that's that's Togashi's thing. Like with Nero, yes, as you said, there's a there's there's a very, very palatable sense of loss when this happens. But it just feels like and there's nothing wrong. Well, I wouldn't say there's nothing wrong with it. But yeah, Hunter Hunter does try to treat it like, well, that shit happens, you know? I like it that yeah, I like looking at it like that because yeah, like I feel like both points of view are valid. You know where uh, when when someone goes through a loss, of course it's 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 normal to feel bad about it or feel sad. But then also yeah, on that other hand, you know death happens all the time. So I feel like both point of views are valid. Yeah, yeah. It's actually very interesting the way Matsui treats that because this is a team that you know is in both Nero and Assassination Classroom. This idea that. You know, debt is like something that can't be taken lightly. It's something permanent and it, it hurts and it's wrong to take a life. And it's, it's something that you can't just do lightly. Like this is a team that both Nero and Assassination Classroom, you know, cover extensively. And it's really interesting, like to see that as an idea that Monstry really puts into his work and really thinks a lot about it, has a lot to say about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think uh, the the thing I was going to mention earlier was that uh, something I also like about Nero is that um, it's uh, something I noticed around uh, I want to say like thirty, maybe fifty chapters in. Is I like we were talking about the composition of the series earlier in terms of its art. I, I like how uh, Matsui poses Nero in certain shots of the manga in certain panels, and how he. Um, how he kind of experiments with, I think, point of view. I think I, I talked about a little bit of this on Twitter is, uh, I think when, uh, what was it? When, when Yakov first meets Nero, uh, obviously, you know, I think we're supposed to see him through her point of view, the point of view of a human running into a yeah, demon. I'm actually looking at that chapter right now. And it's like a perspective where Nero, like he's coming at us. Yes. It's like, if you're watching a movie with 3d glasses, and rather than straight on, he's like, the point of view is like the focal point, the small focal point is his feet. Yeah. And it's like, he's coming straight through the panel at us as if he's coming at to get us, not New- Yako, who's there. And I, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, and then Matsui will have it a lot of times where he's like upside down and we'll see the focal point will be his face. So like, we're looking at him. It's as if. We're looking through Yako's eyes, like through her perspective of seeing this dude standing on her ceiling. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, there's a, there's a contrast to that I really like, where uh, I think it's during the, uh, the, the hairdresser arc, where, um, where Nero's about to actually uh, head off to where Yako is, and she's in the middle of pursuing the suspect. Uh, there's a, there's a great shot at the end of one chapter where Nero's just standing on the side of a building. And he's, he's drawn perfectly normally, like he's, he's standing perfectly normally, but the world around him is, is, is drawn at a different angle. 
And I really like that because I felt like that was very representative, I think, of how, of how, um, I guess out of place Nero, I, I feel like probably feels since, you know, he's, he's obviously not human. He is a, he's a foreign being from another dimension. And I, I kind of like the idea of the, um, of the different perspectives, the world, the human world specifically around him is drawn. Cause I think that's, that kind of is very representative of how, how he sort of feels in a different environment. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, I like that attention, the detail. Yeah. I, I'm looking, I'm looking through volume one a lot and I'm seeing a lot of those perspective shots where like his feet are very small, but the upper body's huge. So it's like he's coming at us through the panel. <laughs> yeah, Matsuri does a lot of really cool, clever things like that. I mean, it not only does it hide maybe his, you know, weaker draftsmanship, but it just it it looks really, really cool. It's really cool to look like, but look at it and also like you know, it it, it does interesting things in like how we see the world and like how we interpret the world and kind of adds this air of surrealism to the series that just makes it, you know, very interesting. To like, read. like you can't, you can't say Nero is never visually interesting. Oh no. It's one of the most visually interesting Shonen Jump series by far. Yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Very much so. In fact, it's almost, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's almost a little disappointing that, that assassination classroom gets a little bit more, a little more conservative. Granted, yeah. I feel like it works better for that story. I, I don't think that the neuro style perspectives would have worked so well for Assassination Classroom. I feel the same way. Yeah. But yeah, but but I do. It is a little disappointing that like in that series, Matsui more or less reins himself in a little bit. <laughs> but it makes sense in the scheme of things. <laughs> Actually, so something I I wanted to bring up was uh, th- throughout throughout like a quarter of the way into Nero, I was like. Man, the way Matsui draws Nero in certain shots, it, it almost feels like I'm reading JoJo, and then I find out, oh, Matsui apparently likes JoJo. So apparently, I was yeah. I was yeah. pretty on the mark there. Like he, I, I I think like recently he did like a special thing with Araki where like they they did like a little cooking segment for like Jump Plus <laughs> yes, or whatever. Yes, that was that actually wasn't recently. That was actually before Assassination Classroom. Okay, it felt recently. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it was like he, yeah, I, you could pretty much trace, we could sit here and talk JoJo all day, but we could pretty much trace most Shonen Jump authors, they all were JoJo fans. Like Dragon Ball is the one, Dragon Ball is the one that gave a lot of people their sense of adventure, but JoJo was the one that gave them their sense of style. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, because most people will, most of the manga and Jump Night now will say Dragon Ball. And then JoJo will be right after it or before it. Actually, I think a lot of modern artists will also say stuff like One Piece and Naruto because you yeah, know. obviously. But then those guys were inspired by JoJo, and mm-hmm. I mean Togashi is straight up said that Hisoka is a JoJo character. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean that that's. But yeah, I I really like some of the things that Matsui did with the art. Like it's, I don't remember conversations so well. I'm going to definitely read the manga after this again, just because I need to now. <laughs> but uh, I remember visually striking art segments like really like like, yes, like I just read the manga yesterday because I'm looking through volume one. I'm like, yep, I remember that. And I remember that, too. Yeah, like I, <laughs> so. I feel like I, f- I think maybe this is the last point I want to bring up before we maybe move on. But uh, I, I feel like personally, I feel like the art for Nero in particular, I feel like is more memorable than 
than than I feel like a lot of the main cast of characters in particular. Yeah, I I can I I can kind of agree with you there. I mean, I do. That's not to say that the neuro cast is at all forgettable. No, no of course. But oh no, yeah, especially not the villains. Yeah, especially not the villains. Of course not. But it's just like I think the art is just so distinct, especially in Jump, which I mean c- gets accused a lot of being kind of cookie clutter cookie cookie cutter when it comes to art and um story so when you do get stuff like neuro that comes in there and it's just like completely different than everything else then it's like it it stays with you even longer than because i mean you're not going to see a thing like new i mean even assassination classroom to follow up uh, not a follow-up but uh, author same work yeah we can talk about assassination classroom from a story standpoint of being great but i think we can all agree that Neuro still just has this imprint art wise that even is, basically what I'm saying too long, too long didn't read. Matsui wasn't able to follow up himself almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel that a lot of uh, artists, you know, first manga tend to be their most inventive visually and, you know, artistically. I feel that way with Ta- Takahashi and Nirsayatsura and Toriyama with Dr. Slum, but I definitely think with Nero that applies with Matsui. Yeah. I will say, though, on the subject of the cast, I, I liked a lot of them, actually. I thought that they were very interesting, you know, especially uh, in, the more we find out about them. And in particular, I think Yako's character arc is really excellent, and she's probably one of my favorite female shonen Yeah, I, I really yes. for, I forgot how much growth she goes through throughout the series. And I also, like, that's I feel like that's something even I don't give Nero enough props for, is that... Uh, is that this is this is one of the few jump manga I've ever seen with like a with a lead a, a lead female uh, main character? Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, like, yeah, and she's really well written too. Like, I really think it's funny you mentioned that she's had a really great character growth without really changing much, which takes a really deft author to pull off. Because sure, you can have a bunch of tragic things happen that she changes that way, but she actually. As a as a person, she doesn't change per se, but she grows into more understanding. Like I don't know, I guess understanding other people and everything. Because her whole, I guess one thing I like is that not, Yako's role in the series Matsui never really um, betrays it. She's kind of like the grounding influence to Nuro, Nuro who doesn't really understand humans. So she's kind of like that that go between where he asks her, Hey, why do humans, why are humans like this? And at the beginning of the series, he is just basically using her to get mysteries. But after a while, and that, and that goes her growth in turn is linked to Nero's growth. Cause after a while he does start asking her, why are humans this way? And you can see through that, that he's actually sort of getting interesting, interested in them besides just being a source of food. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, Nero needs Zako. Uh, in a lot of cases because he doesn't really understand the human heart and the complexities you know of that of like human beings like emotions so he needs Yako's perspective to solve crimes especially as the series goes on like she was essential not only in the new bloodline bar but in the hal arc in terms of you know uh kind of figuring out what the criminal criminals are thinking and like why they are the way they are and then the the i love the crowning moment of that was when she figured out the password yeah i i for for Hal's uh i guess shutdown um 
uh, to shut Hal down, she figured out the password. Like, Nero didn't do any, he was the muscle for that part. He didn't give her any clues. He didn't, you know, help her out. He just kept, he just did the muscle part while she, for the most part, figured out the whole thing herself. So I like that he gave her that spotlight where it's like she was able to do this mostly on her own and by being herself, which is, you know, sympathetic to kind of how humans think. And even, and I like that too, uh, uh, as well as that, she went to consult um, Aya Asia. I like that they kept her, uh, that Matsui kept her around too. Yeah, I really like Aya Asia. Not only, not only because her introduction story was so really interesting, you know, just in terms of her as a criminal herself. She's like the first sympathetic criminal we have in the series. But then also, you know, what uh, Matsui does artistically with that arc. But yeah, I, I really like the connection they, they, Aya Asia and Yako have, and like you know how she you know helps Yako kind of when she's in a bind as the series goes along. And like she's she's a really interesting character too. Yeah, I, I really think, like her. Mm-hmm. I, Yako and is very yeah, both Yako and Assassination Classrooms Nagisa are very similar in terms of the characters who are kind of innocuous at first. You seem that they're there just to be the perspective character, but as the story goes along, you realize that actually this the series really is about them and about their growth as a character and finding out like what they're really good at and how to hone those skills and you know grow and mature over the, uh, mature into like adults and it's really satisfying at the end of the series you know yako becomes a detective you know basically on her own after you know Nero leaves back to uh, hell i mean and she's not really and she calls herself a detective but really she's kind of an uh, a negotiator a negotiator yeah she's a negotiator because she understands people so well to and you know can has really has really good idea of empathy and like how people's minds work so she's just a really natural fit for that job and it's really satisfying to see that growth for her and yeah. I, it's it's gonna sound corny but a good way to put you know the relationship between uh, Yako and Nero in the series is that Nero solves the crimes but Yako solves people's hearts pretty much yeah she she can see through she's the one that really gets to the core of the criminals why Nero's all about you know the how and everything like that but she's about the why and I think that that really that that makes their relationship work really well and in 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 his own way and I like that it just like you said being corny or whatever I like that their relationship never gets to that kind of point where it's like corny platitudes about how I need you or anything like that it's an unspoken bond between them like when after the the cardboard dude died and like Yako's like, I'm sick of doing this. You know, Nero, you know, let her go saying, you know, like, hey, I'm disappointed in you. But it was never a thing like, oh, Recon Taste concluded with this one. Anyway, yeah, there was never a thing with them where it was like, it never came to be like, I need you or I need, it's just like, you know, that these two characters are indispensable to each other. And I like that, that I, I'm for me, a big trope that I'm really fond of in media, in any kind of media, not just anime and manga is the unwritten bond. Mm-hmm. I I really like when when it's done properly. It's one of the, it's like one of the best things because when two characters just connect without needing to you know say it. Yeah, I think there are two scenes that like demonstrate that just perfectly. The first is when Yako you know returns to Nero to you know go and 
solve the final case with six and eleven, and you know, they 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 don't have they don't make it's not they don't make too big a deal of it. And you know, just like kind of accepts her back and like I was waiting for you and kind of like that. And it's like it's uh, a lot is unspoken between them, but there's this sense of respect. And then also at the end of the series, you know, before Nero, you know, kind of has to return to demon world, they just you know sit and talk for you know a couple hours just about nothing. They just talk they just talk to each other and enjoy each other's company it's like it's just it's just kind of such a nice sweet relation a scene and like it kind of speaks a lot about the relationship you know they they really do care about it's also really shocking to me like how how much you really like are invested in that relationship considering just like how (laughs) how considering your abuses the shit out (laughs) yeah it's weird how that works because it really shouldn't yeah, and th- we were talking about this before recording that I think that Matsui did learn from Saui just where just how far to take that without it becoming kind of uncomfortable. Like, yeah, without it without it turning into like Yako having Stockholm syndrome, being like, "Oh, Nero, I just I-, I love you" or something weird like that. You know? Yeah, it's like she always kind of fights it, and and it's funny. It, it, it's weird to say that you sometimes it really is genuinely funny. Because I remember it was, like, one part where they were investigating and, like, Yako was looking away for a sec. And she looks back. She's like, okay, Nero, then what what should we do? And then, like, he's gone. And then, like, it's like a trash can. He's like, here's your food. (laughs) (laughs) And she was all like, oh, he's already gone to investigate. And he's left something to piss me off, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty good. I think a lot of it helps is because Yako is such a you know compelling character and all right, and just the way that relationship is framed, and you know Matsui knows how to portray humorously without you know it becoming uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like he he knows just where to. I mean, obviously too, it helps that it's a manga, and a lot of it is like obviously she it looks painful, but she's not visibly like bleeding and anything like that. Yeah, they're very gog. They're very gag manga esque. Yeah, they're very, they're very just like. I mean, I, and I could sit down all day, like just talking about the because they do genuinely make me laugh. Even though sometimes I'm kind of like I shouldn't laugh at this, but it's hilarious. Like I remember one time where it was like, you know, Yako's asking, "So how do I know when there's going to be a mystery?" Well, I'll, I'll give you a sign. And like somebody walks into the office, and then Yako's like, "Oh, hello!" And then she like turns around really fast, and Nero's got a TV in his hand, about to throw it. And then, <laughs> and then yeah, he's like about to launch this TV at her head, and then she like turns around just in time to catch him doing it. And he puts it down. And he's like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh like God. stuff like that, like. He just knows the Natsuki's so got really good comedic timing, and I and I think that carried carried over to Assassination Classroom too, because it's genuinely funny, and I think that that's what saves it from some of the uncomfortable moments from being uncomfortable. Is they're genuinely Natsuki's comic timing is really really good. Mm-hmm. He knows just how to break up like a serious situation with humor. Yeah. Can Can I just say, as long as we're talking about like uh, the more comedic moments of of Nero, I think. I think one of my favorite jokes is where um is around the part where um Sasasuka disappears from the story for quote unquote uh, uh you know unknown reasons which we find out later of course but it's it's when he disappears from from the police department and Yako goes to visit them 
and uh, one of the off- one of the newer officers that gets introduced later is like, I mean, you know, without without Sasuke here, we just we just can't function. Like, you know, he he was so cool that he kept like the temperature in the uh, in the police office down. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And, and he, he, <laughs> I remember that. And, and he and he also gave the plants photosynthesis and all this weird stuff, and it was it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, and it was just kind of like. And I love like even with him in um Ishikaki, I think. Yeah. I I love how he just like quietly just like you know, Ishigaki's like building this toy model and he'll just throw it in the trash and continue with his sentence. He won't even like he'll be talking about like the case or whatever, and Ishigaki's like doing some nerdy thing, and he'll just throw it in the garbage and then just not miss a beat. <laughs> it's not like, <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Get on get back to work or anything like that. No, he's just like, so about the case, whoop. <laughs> yeah, um the criminal is the criminal's going down the street or whatever and <laughs> and and actually one that really made me laugh out loud cuz I I couldn't help but like imagine it animated and like how dragged out this gag would have been but I forget which case it was. I think it was at the coffee shop later where they introduced the new police officer that works with them and how she's like Hey, don't don't get rid of Ishigaki. He actually does his job and then Sasazuka replies with like 17 lines of ellipses before he's like, okay, sure, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that reminds I mean, like, and then there was the whole scene with the Ishigaki, like, like, I, I, I forgot exactly, they were all there, and the Ishigaki's, like, trying to get their attention, and they all just look, give him everybody, Nero, Yako, um, the police, they're all just looking at him like they don't give a shit about <laughs> his existence. <laughs> and I just love that moment because it's like even Yako's in on it. And normally she's like the bottom line of the food chain. <laughs> but even she's just like kind of looking down on him like, I don't give a shit if you die or not. <laughs> it's just like all of them. And that made me laugh because it's just like even Yako's like shitting on you, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, he's basically the Yamazaki. Yes. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, ex- except except I think he's bullied even more. I, I yeah, he somehow is bullied more than Yamazaki, which is weird because in the second popularity poll he gets second place, and I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah, that so I, weird. I, I remember I saw that tweet of yours, and I was like, yeah, I don't. I, I legitimately, don't, I legitimately do not understand that. That is so weird to me. I, yeah, I don't get that either. It's just how does he have a secret? Did he have a secret fan base that none of us knew about? Uh, I, I guess <laughs> I, I have no idea. I mean, and I, I guess that, and then that leads to another thing with the characterizations. And everything it's like everybody in Assassination Classroom and Nero both do this really well, where even like the screw ups have their place. Yeah, because it was during that case I just mentioned that, like, even Sasazuka, like the new police officer lady. She is like, yeah, you know, we should fire him. He's useless. And then, like, Sasazuka, like, explains, you know, I forgot exactly what it is he does. I think it's like, he can, like, it's either that he's like, because of his hobbies, he knows things that nobody else would know because he's into all this nerdy mm-hmm. shit. And that's what makes him useful. And, you know, basically, Sasazuka was like, yeah, we can't, like, just get rid of him, you know, because he actually has a use here. And, I mean, it's more it's more seen in the assassination classroom than Nero with all the different class people in the class where it's like, you know, Koro Sensei does do this thing where he's like, everybody has a everybody here is, you know, he has a has a use. They're necessary. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. 
And I like that Matsui does that with his cast because it's really easy in Shonen Jump and almost forgiven Shonen Jump manga to have a character who's here for one specific purpose and then never appears again. Yeah. <laughs> so, much. like, Matsui doesn't do that. Everybody has a reason to be there. If he's introducing a character in the series, they're there for a reason. Yeah. So I think um, it was either around the time Nero was just about to end or had just shortly ended that uh, he came out with a one shot in Jump Square, I believe. I could be wrong about that. I believe it was Jump. I don't know if they were both Jump Square, but I believe I know one of them for sure was because like I said, like I interrupted myself with. Recon, Recon Chokte is actually at the end of the last volume of Nero. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'm looking at that now. So that probably, along with a fake preview for Nero's sequel. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's funny because, like, at the very end of that, too, is like Nero, like Yako, com- like doing an interview with her future self. And it ends with Nero basically abusing both Yakos. Wow, that's great. <laughs> so, oh, but, some yeah, things never change. No, they don't. It's like, yeah, Recon Chote is at the end of this, at the end of Nero's final volume. So, yeah, it probably, I would think it probably came around a, a little bit after Nero ended. And then Tokyo Memoir was a little bit after that one. Yeah, so... Uh, just to kind of go over what Recon Chote is real quick. So it's it, it's essentially like it's weird because it I think it takes place in like it's it, I think it's implied that it takes place in like this weird post-apocalyptic world or whatever, where like everything looks like it's just desert. Yeah. And basically you just have this guy with a big sword walking around and basically the shenanigans he gets to and whatnot. I, I, am, I don't know if I want to like spoil it because I I. Just in case people haven't read it. I don't know. Do you think we should? Well, I mean, we've already really spoiled a lot of the new yeah. Matsui well, I guess, stuff. I guess so that's true. We should, we should just keep going because I'm actually reading it right now. So, well, not reading it, but scanning through it right now. I, I wasn't expecting this. Like, it turns out that he's like, he's a god and he. Yeah, he's god. Yeah, he's like Zeus or something. And like, uh, like it, there's this whole thing where he talks about like how he divorced his wife and he had to give up like half of his assets or whatever. And that includes the earth. So he's cutting the earth in half with this giant ass sword. He's just walking around dragging the sword on the ground and cutting the earth in half. Yeah. So I, I yeah. thought I thought that was that was an interesting idea. I don't know. Like I read through it and I thought I thought the concept was more interesting than its execution actually. I I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you on that one. Yeah, he actually is Zeus. I'm on that page now where he's explaining his whole deal. He's not like just some random god. He's Zeus. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I agree. I would agree with you on that one. It, it's I really think that not Matsui's um um now I'm I'm having an old man brain fart. <laughs> his concepts are they're better done as series. I yeah. think. I think so. Because I think both Tokyo Memoir, I mean, but at the same time, to be fair to him, I couldn't see either one of those one-shots being series. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they did conclude pretty nicely as one-shots, but it felt like it was a good idea, but it wasn't executed as well as his series are. So well, just 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 to but before I go into my argument with that, we should explain what Tokyo Department Wars or Memoirs are. I don't know what the actual translation of that is. Um. It, it yeah i don't remember either but yeah it, i found it as like tokyo to part wars or something 
It was something like that. I translated it as the to- Tokyo Department Store mem- or War Memoir, something like it's that. Some some long title. Yeah, I guess yeah, some long title, and I'm pretty sure like maybe the Scandalation Group just thought it was too long <laughs> so they just changed it without telling me which happens a lot but um yeah uh that one oh well it's i guess i should let you explain that yes i'm taking my job uh so essentially <laughs> that one shot is basically about uh this world that exists where like basically everybody lives in poverty and there's just like this one huge ass like uh department store mall kind of thing where like these really nice, like, expensive objects, like, like, nice watches and dresses, uh, basically really frivolous kind of stuff, you know, are, like, are, are huge monsters, and you, like, have to hunt them and take them down in order to, like, take away the object that they have on them. It's really weird stuff. Like, this is... It's like Monster Hunter Macy's. <laughs> That's essentially what it is, yeah. That's what I used to refer to it as when I was translating it. When the group would ask me, "Hey, you done with the Tokyo thingy?" I was like, "It's yeah, I'm I'm, I'm like fifteen, I'm like fifteen pages through Monster Hunter Macy's, so <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just yeah, that's what I used to refer to it as. That's why I can't remember the title. So that's an important lesson: <laughs> always call things by what they're called. <laughs> and, and 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 the story of the one shot is basically you have this little girl who stumbles upon the uh, this giant department store. And runs into the guy who basically rules it, and he's he's pretty much like greed incarnate and hunts down all these monsters just to just to get whatever priceless, uh, really neat, expensive looking thing they have on him because he pretty much wants everything. Again, greed incarnate. Yeah, and like he he helps this little girl like get uh like get a because cause her her father had this watch that like his wife gave him and it was destroyed while um while he was saving uh, his daughter from some kind of accident and sh- and she feels bad so she's like I'm going to get my dad a new watch and that essentially works itself out um and that's pretty much the entire story of that which I wanted to argue that I felt like um I felt like that the 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 premise and the story of that one shot was executed a little better and I, I felt like, um, I felt like that was a good return to like the weird Matsui that I really enjoyed from Nero. I mean, I enjoyed Rikan Shute more as a. I mean, I felt like more. I found that a little more interesting in terms of like the way the character of God was portrayed and like this idea of you know him dividing up the earth, the split between his wife. You know, I, I kind of like that a lot. Um, with Tokyo Department Store, I think it. I, I think that this that the idea of it would would be better for a long term series than Recon Shote. Actually, I agree. I think, uh, but as a one shot of itself, I didn't quite get as much of the connection as I did as uh, Recon Shote. I kind of didn't get into the characters quite as much, but I did like you know the little girl's little story in it, like. Uh, now she just comes to realize it doesn't matter uh what why I want it I want it you know when you know at, when about the watch you know and like being firm in her convictions like you know what yeah I I want this watch no matter what I'm staying firm about that I, I kind of I really like that moment yeah so there were there were there were really interesting things about uh Tokyo Department Store too yeah they were both. They both kind of, you know, the transitional time between Nero and Assassination Classroom. So it was really interesting to see Matsui, you know, kind of do something else 
while preparing for his next big thing. I mean, if I were to say personally, and I guess I we've been calling it Recon Chilte, but I guess I should translate the title as Divorce Consolation, which is what it actually means, which is what it means, but that's not as cool sounding. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I, if I were to say which one I like, since you guys did say which ones you liked more, I would say Tokyo Department Store, but only because I felt that one had a stronger beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm, like, I yeah. felt like Recon Chote had, it had a good premise, but it needed a little bit more time to unfold. It might have been maybe not a series, but maybe like a mini story, like something that was like a yeah, volume manga. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If Recon Chote were like a one volume manga, it would have been perfect, I think, because it had to spend like half of its length explaining its, you know, the world. Yeah. And then the <laughs> other half was to reveal that, oh, this is actually Zeus. And, you know, it's kind of like everything was not to say that the pacing was bad. It's just like there was a lot of stuff going on. And I feel like with Tokyo, War, you know, War Mem- maybe it's because Matsui just figured at that point, I'm not going to explain everything. And it worked better in that case. Yeah. You know, uh, so it it so he was able to spend more time on the little girl's story and explaining, you know, the 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 um macy's as i put it like it, it he spent more time explaining he had time it, the explaining the world was concisely done explaining the little girl's role in this world was concisely done and the dude even though we didn't really find out much about him i don't think we really needed to he was there to serve a purpose of being greed incarnate he wanted to be and to um to, i i'm not sure so i'm not gonna say so much i'm correcting colton's point but i think he was more like a bounty hunter he wasn't like the. Well, he was a salesman. He was like a, okay, yeah, salesman. There you go. He was yeah. like a salesman slash bounty hunter. He didn't really own the place, but he was like a guy that was there hunting down rare prey, rare and expensive prey. That's what he was doing. That makes so more I sense. Kinda, yeah, yeah. I think he was. He was like he says he was a salesman, but in that world was kind of it, we would call that kind of guy like a bounty hunter, basically. Yeah. And yeah. he just happened to be helping the little girl or whatever. So. But yeah, I, I think that Tokyo Memoir was like, it worked as a one shot. It worked really well. I think one like thing you can draw, one like similarity you can notice between uh, Mothry's two major works and his one shots is that he really is in love with this idea of this really strong, like uber kind of badass can do anything character because he has like a character like that in all his works, you know, a character that is like super strong and like apparently able to do anything like uh, Nero and assassination, and Nero in uh can do like, has like all these tools like he can employ to defeat his foes, and he's like seemingly undefeatable. Like he, like the protagonist of Reconstruct is literally God. Uh, the salesman in Tokyo Department Store is like a super strong badass guy, and Koro Sensei in assassination classroom is like a super creature who can fly off at Mach 20 and do multitask like these insane things at once like he, he's in love with that kind of character and that, that's a protagonist that's almost work as well as a perspective character who you know has insight into like deeper qualities of this uber badass character that we might not see on the surface and can really understands them like really well and also has their own like emotional growth and 
uh, maturity as as the uh, story goes along too. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about it that way because I think that I mean we were talking about this earlier, and not to go too far off ta- our target, but I think that that's also what makes like One Punch Man and One's characters kind of shine is that he also tells a story from this place where you've got the super being because both mob and saitama are both super powerful but unlike nero where like unlike i mean not nero but unlike matsui who kind of explores the super being and how they can use their powers for good one's point of view is like being super special isn't all that great (laughs) it's just like because both characters both really wish their lives were more fulfilling but because they're uber beings it's like their lives are pretty you know are they're unable to really connect to they're unable to really live the life that we take for granted as just being normal people but with like you know matsui's case like the super being is pretty happy being a super being there's no there's no like oh i wish i were less powerful like well, there's a bare sadness to a few of them. Like, you know, Nero doesn't really understand people, like human beings very well, but he wants to, you know, yeah. like he just can't grasp it himself. And then, of course, Korosensei has this whole big tragic past thing. Yeah. And then the god in Rikonshute, you know, has, you know, is a little bit melancholy. Yeah, he got, divorced from, his <laughs> wife he got and... divorced from his wife. I mean, I guess so. only the <laughs> so. only the, the salesman dude is the only one who's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with being a badass, actually. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah it was it was a kind of it's it's interesting to look at those both sides because i mean i've had like conversations with people about one and why you know one punch man and mob have been they're both huge and i never thought about it that way to compare it to matsui who has the kind of same theme in his works with the super being but yeah i i i like that i i never thought of it that way but that is interesting but uh, I think maybe we should uh, we should discuss uh, his last work before we uh, before we move on. Uh, so we we've been mentioning it here and there, but uh, obviously uh, this is probably the series that uh, most people, especially over in the states, know him at know him for uh, Assassination Classroom. Which, uh, yeah, we we kind of we we were kind of discussing the premise a little bit earlier, but essentially, yeah, the, uh, like Assassination Classroom is about this. Uh, this uh unknown being uh this very octopus like being uh who they name uh later koro sensei who essentially blows up half of the moon and then decides to teach this class of essentially failures in their like really strict uh and the really strict like middle school they attend um and pretty much he's like okay i'm going to th- see that see the moon up there uh, that's what i'm going to do to earth I want to teach this class how to not only become assassins, but I want them to to be able to kill me. If they kill me, I won't destroy the world. And that's essentially the premise of Assassination Classroom, which, honestly, if I hadn't already read Nero and I, I weren't, like, already kind of familiar with Matsui's work, I probably would... I mean, I, I probably, I, I can't be like, well, I never would have given this a chance, but I like, I probably wouldn't have been as interested, but I feel like the premise alone probably would have made me feel like, okay, maybe I should give this a try. This is weird, I guess. Um, cause I, I was, I was pretty blown away by, by the first chapter of this when, you know, cause I, I like Assassination Classroom actually, along with Nisekoi were two series that I had been reading since they were first scanned. So, I had been reading Assassination. I've pretty much read Assassination Classroom throughout most of its weekly run, 
And I remember being really blown away by the first chapter and just being like, wow, Matsui is just like incapable of coming up with anything unoriginal. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> just, it's just, and the, the fact that Assassination Classroom starts in Medias Res, so it's like, we don't get any explanation. We just start off with a bunch of kids being taught by an octopus and then the class starts. It's a great hook. It's a great hook. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the first page is he, he slithers in the class, starts facing roll. And then they start trying to kill him. <laughs> and then maybe yeah. three pages later, that's when we start getting a little bit of information. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a, it's a good hook if you know nothing about it going in, which, obviously, you know, when I first read this, this this had been, the first chapter had just been scanned. So, yeah, I really knew nothing about it going in other than, yeah, this is by the guy who did Nero. I like Nero. I'll read this. So, uh, yeah, even, I was, I remember being very surprised at that, uh, seeing that first spread of, all these kids trying to kill their octopus teacher, and I'm like, okay, I think I'm hooked. I think I think I'll keep <laughs> reading this. Yeah, it makes a strong impression, like right off the gate, and so you know you want to keep reading and say, okay, well, why why is this octopus teacher teaching this classroom? Why are they trying to kill him? So it like grabs you immediately, and then the rest of the chapter is very good at like connecting like this out there premise to like this kind of emotional story with Nagisa. Yeah, exactly, and just. You know, and I the the character of Korosen is interesting because he's neuro, but not because he's really goofy and everything like that. But he's very powerful too, and just you know the idea of trying to kill him. I the one thing that Assassination Classroom does really well is just it has this whole thing where Korosen the story will tell you the truth, but in a way you're not expecting. Like, the whole premise of him saying, I'm going to blow up the moon, I blew up the moon, and I'm going to blow up Earth, you know, though, throughout the whole series, we're expecting Coralson to do this because he has he has some kind of revenge motive or anything, or something yeah, like he's that. Initially, he initially seems like he's presented as, like, kind of a villain. It's this weird kind of, he's a villain, but he was also, like, really helping these kids out, so you're kind of conflicted on how to perceive him. And then as the story goes on, we find out that he is really kind of a good guy and kind of... He's a tragic... I mean, he's and, a good guy. He's yeah, a good he's a tragic figure. He's, very okay, he's tragic a very tragic character. figure. I mean, and that was one thing I really enjoyed with Assassin's because for Assassination Classroom, again, I was gonna translate it, but it got usurped. But later on, when around the time where I want to say... Um, probably slightly before the reveal dropped when with the whole thing with Kayano happened, I started translating spoilers every week. Of course, I didn't post them on Twitter or anything, but I was, it was a small kind of click of assassination fan, classroom fans. And I knew, and I was translating Gintama spoilers anyway. And so the Gintama and the assassination classroom spoilers are in the same place. So I just figured out, well, I'll do those too. I only really did it for one close friend, and then she invited a bunch of other people, and so then I became it became Assassination Classroom Thursdays. <laughs> so <laughs> I was translating the spoilers for that. So I got to see the chapter before everyone else did, really, and that it was a really interesting experience to kind of do it week to week every week. And so I got a lot of the visceral reactions from fans. Because this was way before, and usually the scanlation wouldn't happen for two, three days after I was done. So I got really like people just being like, "What is that really happening? What what did assassin? What did Coral sense say? You know, everything about his past and everything like that." 
So seeing it again when it's scanlated and then again when it was animated, it was a really interesting experience compared to Neuro, where I was mostly just a reader. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Assassination Classroom was a series that com- that consistently subverted your expectations and went in a direction you never you didn't expect. Way to say what I meant to say, but smarter. <laughs> Smart- <laughs> that's exactly yeah. That that's what I meant. It was a subversion of just like because everything in the series was there. Like even the Keanu reveal. It was really... It wasn't even a reveal. Matsui set that up. He clearly had that in mind for a long time because the seeds for that, you can go back and read some earlier chapters. And yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of hints towards Kayano's true nature. And it's really impressive how he set that up. Yeah, because it was kind of like... It felt like an ass pull, but then when you really sat down and read it, read it, read the whole series again, it was like, oh, wow, no, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 definitely where Assassination Classroom, I think, picks up and then just never stops running. Yeah. I mean, for me, Assassination Classroom, like, like I think the moment I really was sold on Assassination Classroom when I was, like, uh, catching up on it for the first time was when I got to, you know, the arc that really established, you know, Nakisa's role in the story. Like, the introduction of Takoka and, you know, Nakisa... The 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 uh, the first reveal that Nagisa has this real knack for assassination, and that was kind of the moment the story the story that was like, oh wow, I really want to see where this goes now. And then after that, consistently the series did things with its characters that really surprised me, and I really loved. And so I started keeping up with it uh, shortly after the. Um, the Island of Assassins arc, you know, that, that the second, the return of uh, Takaoka. And so I started keeping after keeping up with it shortly after that. And so, uh, you know, only a couple weeks in, you know, we, we got more on Etona and then him joining the class. And that was a great story. And then just shortly after that, we got the Reaper stuff, which just blew me away. And then just, it kept going with, you know, the exploration a further explanation of Nagus's character with his relationship with his mother and his whole, yeah, yeah. you know, he, her, his mother is trying to live vicariously through him and like that, you know, destructive parental and disturbing parental relationship. Like that was a story that blew me away too. And it's like, classroom just was kept being one of the things that I just absolutely love and was excited to read every week, just consistently right up until the end. I really fell in love with the characters. Yeah, definitely. And, and like, I one thing that I mean, because the popularity of the series even took Matsuisa by surprise in Japan. But one thing I really and I and Shonen Shonen gets a lot of flack for this in general, which not some of it's deserved. But one thing I did liked was that Matsui stuck to his guns because from the beginning, after it came out, and Assassination Classroom was pretty much a runaway hit. Like, he was like, well, I still got a plan for what I want to do, and I'm going to end it in a certain amount of chapters. And he stuck to that. And I think that that really, because he had that kind of tight time frame for what he wanted to do, the story really, really, like, um, benefited from that. It wasn't an idea where it was like, oh, well, I'm also gonna, you know, what do I do about this? It's like, I feel like, I don't know how long it was between Nero's ending and Assassination Classroom's beginning, but I really think Matsui spent his time wisely you know, really putting together... It was about three years. About... Okay. I I really think that Matsui, like, took his time kind of meticulously planning the series out. 
because everything i mean you can reread through assassination classroom again and everything is in its place everything is, there's nothing that feels kind of like oh well he could have well i mean there are little little things he could have probably explored more on but there's nothing it feels like a complete story to me like a lot of the times where where pe where you know there's a short series it's short because there's a lot of things left out and it's just short to be short to be collected easily or short to be the antithesis to a long series well, i'm just gonna make this thing short because long series suck and not really so much because my narrative doesn't need that much time i i feel like that's kind of the problem with some shonen series i mean for me personally i like longer stuff but i do like that matsui did keep it i mean because assassination classroom ran a little over three years so that and and everything i felt like worked really well for that series and even one other thing that matsui really did well i think was he had a really big ensemble cast of characters and it never felt like somebody was just sort of there to fill up room yeah he made use of all of them like I might not be able to uh, name everyone in Class 3E, but they all have very distinct character designs, and they all uh, contributed something to the story. Yeah, and they were, uh, and you really felt like felt uh, like you knew every member of this classroom, and they felt like it felt like a real a, classroom. exactly, exactly. It felt like an actual classroom because you know, with a lot of classroom anime and stuff, you have basically a handful of students. And you have the main characters, and you have a couple of their friends, and that's about, and a couple of their rivals slash enemies, and that's about yeah. it. <laughs> so, but Matsui actually tried to do a good job making an entire classroom, which that's inspired me to be like, yeah, I, you know, I do a little bit of writing on the side, or that's something I want to do now, is do an ensemble sort of situation where there's more than just the character, the main characters, and the people he or she directly knows. Yeah. I love ensemble stories, like a series with just a sprawling cast of characters and everyone is so distinct. That's why I love Urasawa's works. Oh, why yes. I love Classroom. Why I love, you know, why I love Gintama and like Rumiko Takahashi's works too. Like there's just this huge cast of characters and everyone is really memorable. Even, even characters who only show up for one chapter or a couple chapters are really memorable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can have, and you can have chapters where the main characters don't appear. I mean, Assassination Classroom doesn't do this so much, but you can have chapters where the main characters don't appear at all and doesn't feel like, uh, when is, when is Gintoki going to show up? and save this yeah it's just like you can have it just he doesn't appear at all and it doesn't feel like by the time you're done reading you're like oh wow there's no gintoki that chapter huh so i mean i really like ensemble stuff like that and assassination of classroom was really strong in that sense see you see it's funny i actually i actually sort of disagree not not that i don't um not that i don't think they're not strong or whatnot but i feel like I actually, that's that's a problem I had even when, um, e even kind of close to the end. And, and full disclosure, I I feel kind of bad because like I meant to reread Assassination Classroom, but I just I didn't get the time to. Um, so like I haven't even actually finished it. So I feel I feel like a fraud when I have an opinion. But <laughs> but but so I mean I don't know. Like I feel like even pretty close to the end. Like I still. I don't know if this is just me. I still have a hard time trying to like I mean other than other than Nagisa, Karma, and I guess Kayano 
you know, uh, seeing uh, seeing as how how important of a role she actually plays later. I, other than those three, I have a really hard time trying to keep track of who's who and trying to keep track of like which character is which and whose quirk belongs to who. And I don't know, maybe that's just me, but I actually I actually had a lot of trouble trying to keep track of most of Class Three E. Other than, other than like, I guess the main three and maybe a few standouts, like the one, the one that stands out to me the most. <clears throat> and I, I wish I remembered his arc a little better because I remember really liking this. Um, was I, I liked, um, and I'm, and forgive me if I, cause I don't remember his name, but the, the, the otaku in the glasses. Oh, my. oh my. I want to say my horror, but it doesn't sound right. Uh, no, it's not him. Take, Take Bayoshi. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, Take Bayoshi. <laughs> yeah, Take Bayoshi. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember his arc around, I think it was when, like, he, he, he had the chance to, like, join, join their school yes, proper. Yes, Take Bayoshi, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember that arc being very, very enjoyable, very well written, very engaging. So I think he he was he was one of the few that like really stood out to me personally. But like other other than him, like like I said, I, I personally have a hard time trying to keep track of a lot of class three E, and I think that's the that's the one thing I actually don't like about Assassination Classroom. But I feel like I'm fine with everything else. Well, I've never had that problem where I couldn't. After a certain point, I did kind of recognize like who is who, like, and what their, you know, role in the class is. I don't remember everyone's name, because there are just so many of them, but I, I do remember, like, their role in the story and, like, how they affected the story at certain points. But one character, besides the main three, uh, in Class 3 that I really loved was Terasaka. Yes. Who, yeah, know, yeah. initially was introduced as, uh, as a bully. Like, he comes up with this scheme in the first chapter to use Nagasa as a suicide bomber to kill Gorosensei. Yeah. And he gets punished for it later. But, like, Terasaka has a really great character arc. I, I do agree, and, yes. You know, yeah. I, I, he was a lot of fun. I, and I really liked the connection, like, he formed with Nagisa and, like, that later Atona. Yeah. Like, he was a great character. I, I like this I really whole click, him. really. Um, yeah, this whole click's really fun. Yeah, I really like, like, I would read a series about them. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I really would. Like, if they were to make an assassination classroom spin off from their point of view, I would read that. Because yeah. I, I would love an assassination classroom spin off, like, that follows, like, kind of the daily lives of the students at class 3 after they graduated. Like, I mean, everyone jokes about, you know, how it'd be awesome to see great teacher Nagisa, but yeah, I definitely, all the other characters too, I would really like to see, like, how they live their lives. I would like, I mean, I know I was kind of, I mean, when they announced the, the, the extra four and they would just be about Coruscant again, I mean, they were fun, but I would have preferred to see more of the students. But yeah, I like those side story chapters uh, just because it was kind of interesting to see more in Dick Sensei's character that you know he couldn't show around the students. Yeah, like, he, I mean, nothing that was necessarily new to us, but it was still like a nice kind of because it was take it took place between you know the fall and winter semesters, you know, during the period where the students were all deliberating on whether they really wanted to kill Gorosensei or not. Right. So it was kind of interesting to see, you know, like him mulling over like his own kind of existence and like whatever his students will decide. I really enjoyed So I really enjoyed those four chapters. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not that so much I didn't enjoy them. I just would have liked to see more of the students too. But I mean, but the one thing I want to say, and I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler. (laughs) 
but we already spoiled a lot. But so. yeah, but one thing I have to say that really impressed me with Assassination Classroom, though, is that Matsui didn't pull any kind of Coralson's actually alive thing. I really translating the spoilers every week. I expected it every week. I I braced myself for <laughs> it. <laughs> I braced for some kind of ass pull where Coralson would be okay, and he did. It didn't happen. And yeah, he I was pull his punches. He did. They had to kill Coruscant, and yeah. they kill or or it's either before he got killed. I was like, okay, they're gonna find some way. Like one thing that I guess if we're talking about things that what that we didn't like so much at first, I didn't like when they did the whole thing when they went to space and then found out he was actually perfectly yeah, harmless. That was I was that like was, that was a weird couple chapters. Yeah, that was it. like I mean the whole space thing. I didn't mind so much because hey, it's Matsui. <laughs> But, yeah. I mean, it was just like it's finding, manga. yeah, exactly. It was just finding that out. It was like, oh, okay. But I mean, that's the, the thing versus reading something weekly and reading something in Tankabon format is like, then later on, we found out that they'd still have to kill him anyway. I found out that that revelation was, it was a nice kind of like, oh, well, you know, a red herring, I guess. Like you would think, yeah. oh, now we don't have to kill him. And everything would be okay, but then they ended up having to anyway. And I and I think I preferred the reason they had to kill him to the whole thing where they thought that he would blow up and kill everybody. I actually kind of liked it that at the end, they ended up having to kill him because there'd be no way that society would accept him. Yeah, it's definitely probably one of my favorite death scenes that I've read in manga. Yeah, definitely. It's it's like really, well, I mean, we didn't really touch on it during Neuro, but that brought me back to, I guess what got to me too with that was it brought me back to Eye's death. Just oh, yeah. how quick that, it wasn't even in, in, in Neuro though, what made it sad was just how quick and insignificant it was. Like, Kuro Sensei got this whole big procession that he died. And he's a main character, so obviously, yes. Yeah. But I just gunshot. She was just shot. And it was, she. there was no final thing with X. Like, she was dead, like, she, instantly. Yeah, there was nothing. And, I, I mean, maybe this will make me sound like a heartless monster, but I kind of like it when they do those kind of deaths in media, not just anime and manga. Because that's generally... I mean, they do them so rarely. Yeah. You usually get this big, like monologue before this character dies this like, you know, like, moment where with, everything know, is one. okay and it's like uh you know i yeah. lived a great life and everything like that and don't get me wrong when like when guys like oda do it that he oda's an expert at that so yeah i mean when he does it it's like your 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 heart is just like bleeding through your eyes <laughs> so but <laughs> i mean like but in in tier format <laughs> but but to see it like that, it actually hurt me more because I actually like Dai a lot. She's one of my favorite characters in Nero. Oh yeah, but I agree. And I love that her backstory was so quick. Everything about her was just quick and to the point. There wasn't a big long fifty chapter flashback about where she came from or yeah, just one chapter, two chapters really to explain her relationship with X, and it was very effective. And then she wasn't a nice person either. She was a terrorist. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, like, I in just for her to die, and it's like not mentioned again, like that. And it might seem kind of cruel on Matsu. Well, it's not like it's not mentioned again. I mean, her death really does affect X, and you know, Yako reminding, uh, reminding X, uh, reminding Eleven of I, and you know his. 
her relationship to her. Like when I, when I say not mentioned again, I mean it's not like reflected on by the characters. Oh yeah, definitely it has a huge effect on X. Oh for sure. But I mean, it's not a thing like in other series where the characters will all comment, well, what's his name is dead, you know, uh, he was such a great person, you know, I wish he hadn't died. But what's his name sacrifices so we could all live. So we have to live stronger for it. No, I was just wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. And that's it. I mean, it affected X on a deeper level. It really did. But it's like other than that. And that, and let's be honest. I mean, of course, our close friends and family are going to mourn us when we go, but it's not going to be a big thing that everybody reiterates. Man, that's a cat. That BDR, it was great. I mean, you know, I I really love this translations. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, they they like that 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 is something I think. Uh, you know, they kind of touch upon a Nero too when when certain characters die. You know, even Yaku's like, well, even though this person died, you know, the world still goes on. Yeah, I I I kind of like you know again maybe it's just just my desensitization to this kind of stuff, but I really like that kind of place in narrative in narrative where they do that. Yes, there's a place for the long, overblown tears filled with assassination. Classroom did it perfectly. Uh, there's two things I want to mention. I don't want to get too deeply into them because there's also a lot of research that I still need to do on these. Like, so long ago when Assassination Class was ending, I was, you know, because I was so passionate about the series, I thought I was going to, I was going to, like, write some retrospective on it. So I did a bunch of research. And so Assassination Class, I found out, is is really, like, uh, based on, like, two interesting things. First is, like, more straightforward and kind of obvious is that it's satire of, you know, Japanese education system. Like, it's, it's very exaggerated in kind of the way Matsui would do, but, like, a lot of, uh, kind of how the way that Kanoaki Gaika is framed is not, and, like, the relationships between, you know, students and, like, uh, how how uh, academics is treated, it's not too far off about, like, how harsh the Japanese education system is, and there's, there's a lot of lot of interesting social commentary there. There's a lot of interesting social commentary with that. And then another thing that was really interesting is kind of like the inspiration for like the premise of Assassination Classroom in a way and that uh, a lot of uh, Assassination Classroom is loosely based on like a real life assassination Japanese history called the Chushengura hmm. uh, also known as the Tale of the 47 Ronin. Hmm. And so it was basically like uh, this, this plot, you know, between these Ronin to uh, assassinate the feudal lord. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of interesting, like, connections between that and assassinating classroom. Like, they're, like, a lot of the students are named after, like, uh, samurai who are involved in that um, event. One of the, uh, like, ringleaders on the opposition side was... Literally, his name was Asano, like Principal Asano. There was also one of the guys who orchestrated the event was called Yanagisawa. Uh, there's a lot of connections between like the Chusingura and the premise of Assassination Classroom. Like I still uh, was, I still need to do a lot more research on it. I'm not. It, it's hard for me to just uh, get it all out here just very quickly. But it's really interesting, you know, to see that there was a historical like connection the assassination classroom was based on and there's actually a lot of references to that 
event. So it's really interesting. That I thought that was really interesting and something I just wanted to bring up quickly. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I had no idea about this historical aspect. I, I think I actually read a little bit about it, but I didn't really take a lot of stock into it, but... That's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't know about any of that either. That is actually really interesting. I mean, like, the, the whole thing with uh, it being based on an exaggerated Japanese educational system, I find it that a lot of the Japanese, because their, their whole culture is a little less open to, like, open satire. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, here, where we would do a lot of, like, it would be very obvious what we're satiring, like... And comedians are praised for being able to openly satire something. Yeah. Like, it's probably why Gintama stands out among Japanese anime, because it does openly satire things. It doesn't try to sugarcoat them. Kind of like how Phoenix Wright is an open sort of satire of the law system in Japan before 2009, I believe. That's the court. Everybody thinks this Phoenix is ridiculous, but that's how things actually were. (laughs) So, (laughs) but yeah, it's really interesting to hear that you know i i i I knew about the the education aspect but i didn't know so much about the historical one yeah i i went over it really quickly but it's really actually fascinating you know to look into and see oh wow there's so many connections here and wow amatsui kind of got Matsui kind of based this character off of this character and this is interesting i would like to read more of that i i really honestly would like to read more of that yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's something I really wanted to do a lot of research into, and that's why I never ended up writing uh, that retrospective article that I was going to do. But if you ever read it, if you ever write it, I'd like to read it. I really would. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely need to find time to do more research to really dig into that. But like, it's really fascinating. Someone else, uh, I did discover, uh, you know, someone else who wrote about it too. Who and uh, her is I don't know which article is really interesting. I might link that in the show notes because it's really fascinating read. I think I might have read that because I did read something along those lines, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't really think too much about it. But now, yeah, definitely I'll read that as well. Um, But I think overall, um, just uh, before we move on, I think Assassination Classroom is very good. Um, I think it's... See, I don't know, like, and, you know, I haven't really gotten the chance to revisit it as much as I would like to, so maybe my opinions will change, but I think Nero on, just on the level of the different ideologies and the, um, and, and the way it explores the, the, the evils of humanity, I think, uh, make it a stronger work, but I would also say that I feel like even though I have problems trying to differ- differentiate each uh, certain members of class uh, 3E, I still feel like the characters in Assassination Classroom are probably written a little stronger in some aspects. So I like I, I think I think Nero and Assassination Classroom are both while I, I still prefer Nero over Assassination Classroom, I think they're both I think they're both strong works in different aspects. Oh yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if we're kind of, I guess we're doing a kind of wrap up thing. Uh, yeah, I, I would, I, I 100% agree with you on both aspects, really. I think Neuro thematically is a stronger work only because it does something a little different than Shonen manga yeah, normally yeah. do. I mean, thematically, that's what makes Neuro stronger. I mean, there is nothing wrong with Assassination Classroom. In fact, I would even go as far as saying, and stop me, but 
I would say that Matsui in the in the whole scheme of shonen reading, Matsui is kind of required. Yeah, I, I would say I would go as far as saying Matsui is required. You may not even if you don't like Neuro or Assassin. If you don't like one work, the other one is so different that you can probably find something to enjoy of it. It's not it's not a thing where like with well. I mean, I would compare Hunter Hunter and Yu Yu Hakusho, but they're very similar in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Wow. So it's kind of hard to make that comparison, but definitely, I guess it's something closer to maybe like Takahashi, where a lot of her series are very different. Yeah, actually, actually, that is a good one because even though like a lot of series are lumped into this category of romantic comedy, like the way they approach, you know, there's uh, maybe approach uh, that that concept and you know their characters are very different it's really interesting to you know notice i mean she does have her archetypes that yeah she of reuses, course but there are a lot of actually differences between her series they're not exactly the same thing yeah exactly that's 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 what i would say i mean matsui to me if you're gonna be somebody who's like i want to read the best of shonen Matsui somewhere in there. In there, I feel. Oh yeah, I, I definitely agree. Definitely. So whatever, whichever series you prefer, and it's just because he is an author who managed to do something different with two different works, very different. I mean, you look at a lot of the shonen artists that do one series and have another. And it's usually very easy to tell. Okay, this is that guy. <laughs> not just from the art, or not just from the art or whatever, but just from the general storytelling. Okay, that's this guy. Matsu, I mean, Neuro in Assassin's Classroom has very surface similarities, but otherwise, other than that, they're very different. Yeah. And I, and I think that, I mean, definitely, I agree with Colton that Neuro thematically, in my opinion, of course, is a stronger work because it just does something very different than you see in the Shonen. I would expect to see something like Neuro in the Seinen magazine, honestly. But not in, especially not in Shonen Jump. I, I, that, and I think that alone gives Nero a leg up over Assassination Classroom. Cause you do, I mean, Assassination Classroom kind of fits in with the whole Shonen Jump thing of, you know, kids in school and the teachers. I mean, of course, it's very different, wildly different than any other school series. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's like, it fits in with that kind of jump, you know, um, trope. So in that case, it might be a little bit, it's, it's a double-edged sword to me, because I feel like Assassination Classroom is more accessible because of it. Yeah. This is, this is what I come down to with a lot of the, I mean, when people, because I remember there was the whole Sket versus Gin Wars, and I just like, yeah, Sket Dance wins on the level of being more accessible, but I feel like as a work, Gintama is stronger because it does a lot more thematically. <laughs> so and because and granted it's because of i mean now i'm getting off topic but i'll wrap that up but yeah it, it's i think that it's not so much that you make a uh um a plot or a scenario that limits you it's what you limit yourself to in that plot or scenario you know what i mean it's like yeah gintama is more accessible because it does because it, because of its era where it's doing things it can do a lot more but I just feel like going back to Assassination Classroom versus Nero, Nero, I mean, Nero's will probably will be a little bit higher, a little bit more difficult for a new reader to get into. So if I'm to, if I'm telling somebody, hey, read Matsui, and they're like, okay, sure, what should I start with? I would tell them to start with Assassination Classroom, honestly. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. 
I think one advantage Nero has, though, is that I think Assassination Classroom is a little more of a slow burn in terms of like oh, yeah. getting acclimated to what it's you know, to, to to the characters and what it's trying to do. Like once it hooks you, like you're in. Like once you get to that point where you know they reveal like Nakasa's like full capacities, so you can see like where it's going. But I think Nero, in contrast, gets to you know what Yako is rolling in the story, what she's going to be capable of, and has a bigger hook, like more immediately. I feel, even if the premise itself is not quite as easily accessible, because you know you can identify with the kids of class three on some level. You know you can identify with their problems, but and you can't quite as much do that with Nero and Yako. But at the same time, I think that you're, they that Masui sets up the seeds of his storyline like much more immediately with uh, Nero. There's so. a sense of yeah. There's a sense of more. Because it's a school series, you can't push things too fast, I feel like. You got, you gotta have that set up for, because you gotta, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't know. Definitely, if I, like I said, if somebody were to ask me, I would say read Assassination Classroom first. And I would say read over watch. Because really, I guess, I don't know if maybe Matsui's just one of those guys that just can never be captured in animation that well. Not saying that Assassination Classroom wasn't able to do it. It did a really good job. Like, but I just don't, I mean, of course, I guess it's the whole thing where just manga over anime, but, uh, Hey, I, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, uh, if only, if only Nero could get another adaptation by either Studio Bones or even David Productions, that would be great. <laughs> that would be amazing. I, I definitely think Nero is a series that deserves another shot at being animated because. I think so too. I mean, there's, it's just so astounding, you know, as a comic, but I think that there's so much potential in animation too to do with the series. Like, it could be a real animator's playground kind of series, but how inventive and surreal it is too. So it, it'd be a fantastic yeah, I, I, thing to do in animation. Yeah, I, I think it could, yeah, I would love to see. And then, the, and it, it wouldn't be with it without, outside the realm of, possibility because i mean hey the yoramushi pedal guy his other series got to anime too for the virtue of the fact that his one series was really super popular <laughs> so i mean if assassination classroom was this popular i i could see them saying maybe we should revisit nero but it hasn't happened yet so <laughs> yeah I think one thing I want to say about uh, Matsui is that he definitely approaches writing his manga with very clear ideas in mind, like teams he really wants to explore and like wants to say something about. And I, that's something I really admire about like any writer, but especially like uh, mangaka, especially Shona mangaka, because there's definitely like this air of con- there's, there's definitely like this air of commentary and maturity in Matsui's manga that you don't necessarily always see. In in, like, your average, uh, battle manga, like, uh, just any average, just, it's, it, his, his work feels special. It feels like he has a destination he wants to go with them. He has a, something he wants to say, and he has an idea of how he wants to say it. And I think that's why his works, you know, are, feel very well paced and, and don't go on for extensive period of time. And he could have, you know, gone on as long as he wanted with Classroom for at least a little bit because it was so popular. Like, he ended Classroom, like, when it was still in the prime of its popularity, really. Yeah. But he told the story he wanted to tell, and he was like, that's it. And he 
I think he was like that with her too. And I really respect that about a mangaka. Like he goes into writing manga to tell this particular story. He does everything he wants to say with his work and about whatever team uh, he wants to explore. And then he concludes it and he gives it a satisfying definitive conclusion. Yeah. And I find that so rare and satisfying as an approach with shonen manga that I just absolutely applaud and love about it. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you 100%. I love the assassination classroom, like reading that. It was just a joy to read week to week. But definitely after reading Nero and seeing and connecting the dots between what Matsui's interested in thematically, like what ideas he likes to explore, concepts that uh, he really likes to use again and like twist in different ways. And going through Nero and seeing and see, comparing it to Assassination Classroom and then seeing kind of what what he most likes and most interested in as a writer and as an artist, I I definitely really love Yusei Matsui as a mangaka. Like, he's definitely now among my favorite mangaka. And both his works are among my favorite Shonen Jump series uh, of all time. And I definitely think that his works have a lot of depth to them, have a lot of maturity to them that like other Shonen Jump series generally don't. And that just makes some really fascinating reads to, you know, uh, ex- to read and explore and kind of analyze. And it's just really, really great stuff. I'd agree with both Colton and Bomber that um, I do agree that Nero is thematically, like, more cohesive, I felt. Like, I definitely think it explored its teams and delivered... uh deliver them more strongly and more powerfully than Classroom, but Classroom also just has so much going on to it with, uh, you know, with satire on um, and commentary on the Japanese education system, and then on relationships between parents and children, and teachers and their students, and then also, of course, the historical illusions, and then so much other stuff, and that's going on in Saturated Costume. There's just so much going on in both Nero and Saturated Costume that I just absolutely love. And I would highly recommend them both. Like, they're just really fascinating reads, and there's really multiple levels you can enjoy them on. And I definitely am really looking forward to whatever Matsui does next, because he clearly has a wealth of ideas and a wealth of things he wants to explore and so I, I really want to see, like, what kind of ideas he and what kind of themes he'll be tackling next in his next work. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm certainly going to be looking forward to his next work, too. Um, Nero, in particular, is probably, like, honestly, my third favorite manga of all time. Ice Shield 21 and One Piece being uh, my other favorite manga of all time. Surprisingly, not Gintama, but, you know, I, I have my reasons for that being I like the anime for that a lot more. But, um that's neither here nor there, but yeah, Yusei Matsui has been definitely one of my favorite manga authors for a long time, and uh, yeah, I I just I basic yeah any anything by him I'm gonna I'm gonna be following from day one as I did with Assassination Classroom, but I think that's about it for all that. That was a very, uh, very good discussion on Matsui and his works. But uh, you know, for those of you listening to this, hopefully, again, I'm gonna do my best to try to get this out on uh on thursday so hopefully if things go well you'll be listening to this on a thursday you know the day before uh before matsui has his panel at new york comic-con so sid 
Um, do you do you want to talk about where uh, where that panel is at, or what information you have on that for people who are, who are maybe uh, interested in that? Oh yes, there are many places you can go to meet Yusei Matsui at New York Comic Con and outside uh, Comic Con if you're. If you don't have tickets to Comic-Con, you can actually meet Matsu at certain locations outside Comic-Con if you want to meet him and get your things signed. Uh, the first place, uh, the first, you know, event that Matsu will be at will be Mind of the Mangaka, which is a panel uh, about him hosted by the uh, Japan Society of New York uh, at their, at their uh, you know, place at uh, 333 East 47th Street. And that panel will run from 6.30 to about 8.30. It's about $30 for admission, $25 if you're a Japan Society member. And that will just be a nice panel with uh, Yusei Matsui, you know, going over his work and, like, uh, picking apart kind of, like, what he he does and how he approaches his manga and all that. And that should be a really uh, fascinating panel if you're able to attend that. If you're not able to attend that, however, you are still in luck because there is also going to be a panel featuring him on Friday. Uh, the Viz Media presents an evening with using Matsui panel, which will be on Friday, October 7th from 5.15 to 6.15 in room 1A06 in the uh, Java Center. At New York, where New York Comic Con is hosted, and that will just be an hour-long panel going over the same things. Uh, Matsui's is more focused on Sesame Classroom, but it is going to be you know using Matsui's top process on how he creates uh, his manga and like uh, other like neat details like that, and that will be. Uh, should be really interesting, and fans attending that session will uh, receive a special Assassin's Classroom collectible premium. If you're not able to attend the Friday panel, you are still in luck because he, Matsui will also be a part of the official weekly Shonen Jump panel on Saturday, October 8th from 1.45 to 2.45 in room uh, 1A010 which will be going over a bunch of weekly Shonen Jump news, uh, and Monstry will also be there, part of the discussion, probably, uh, you know, answer some Q&As there as well. And you'll also get the Assassination Classroom Collectible Premium, as well as some other amazing prizes at that panel. Now, now there's still other things here. I should mention, uh, at Viz Media's uh, boot, that they will have at New York Comic Con in the dealer's room. Uh, their booth will be booth uh, number 2036, and they'll have some uh, special assassination classroom-related things there you, you can get. Uh, a volume, a bundle of volumes 1 and 2 for a special discounted price at $15, uh, as well as volume 13 two months before the official December street date uh, at volume 10, so you can go pick those up there. But then finally, I want to mention uh, the off-site New York Comic Con uh, signing sessions that Matsui will also be at. So uh, Matsui will be at the Kanol Kunia Bookstore uh, at 1073 Avenue of the Americas uh, on Friday, October 7th at 8.30 
And uh, that'll go on to 9.30. And so if you buy a Wall of Assassination costume on the day of the, at the event and get a wristband that'll allow you entry into that, uh, into the evening signing, uh, you can get that. You can get your uh, Assassination costume volumes or your volumes if you have them uh, signed by him. So that'll be cool. And you can also uh, get yourself signed by him at the Barnes & Noble Tribeca Bookstore, which is at 97 Warren Street. And that will be uh, on Saturday, October 8th, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, this event, uh, in contrast to the Kinomakia event, will be limited to just 100 customers. And like the Kinomakia event, though, you have to purchase a William Assassination Classroom at the trip Barnes & Noble Tribeca location on the day of the event. But a bonus that is exclusive to this Barnes & Noble uh, event is that you will get a special shikishi, which is like a special, like a high quality drawing. Uh, in addition to uh, you know the volume assassination classroom, you get by and get signed. So and your sh- and the shishiki will be uh, also signed by Matsui and personalized. So that's really cool. So yeah, there are a lot of play. There are a lot of events where you can go to to meet Matsui. Uh, you know. Uh, and get yourself signed, ask questions, and it should be really cool. Uh, you get a lot. There's a lot of chances, and definitely uh, a lot to look forward to here. I I didn't even know about half of that stuff. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know either. <laughs> and I, I I hate myself because I don't live in New York. I mean, I could go to New York, but do I want well, I to? Go, or I the question is, do I have money? <laughs> will. Ooh, look at me i'm bomber i can read stuff in english and japanese and i i can go to new york i'm so special and i i i don't hate him at all well i <laughs> uh, look at me look at me i'm Clinton. i don't have a house and a mortgage to worry about <laughs> so whether i can go to, <laughs> so whether i can go to new york and whether i actually go these are two very different things <laughs> but no we we love each other goofy impressions aside <laughs> Definitely, though, even if you're not able to go to Comic-Con itself, you can still, you know, meet with Yusei Matsui and get yourself signed. I mean, both the Kinokia and Walter Noble's locations are great places that are, you know, pretty affordable. You only need to buy a volume assassination costume uh, on the same day as the event, which you should, because uh, if you love the series, you should support it. And assassination costume is, as we discussed, really great. So yeah. You so is it, it um? But yeah. I'm sorry. Is it possible to maybe have this information in the show notes too, Sid? Oh yeah. Um, I'll, I'll link it because yeah, it's on Wiz's website. Okay, good, so good, good. I'll just link that. Lot to look forward to here. I'm really excited myself, you know, to meet Matsui, get a volume of classroom song, uh, special shishiki. So ah, uh, oh man, Comic Con's gonna be really fun this year. Ah, uh, <laughs> I I can't wait to maybe get something. I don't know. I, I won't forget, Colton. You will get. No, no, no. I I don't I don't want to make it sound like oh, Sid's gonna forget. I'm just saying. I, I wish I I wish I could like live vicariously through you. I guess I'm gonna have to try and do that. Uh, see see if I can figure out a way to like maybe make my spirit leave my body and then maybe just kind of travel to New York that way. I don't know. <laughs> Anything's possible. Uh, so yeah, just just don't live vicariously doing like Nagisa's mom. That didn't work so well for you. No, them. no, that, that that really didn't work very well. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast here on allcomic.com and our discussion on Yusei Matsui and his catalog of work. And we also want to thank uh, Bomber D. Rufy for coming on the show. Uh, you could follow him on Twitter at Kiribon. That's K-I-I-R-O-B-O-N. So follow him on Twitter, as well as Sid at Lum Ramayasha, and me, Colton, your host, at SniperKing323. And uh, follow all of our projects slash podcasts, whatever we're doing. Uh, we all do cool stuff outside of uh, outside of Manga Mavericks. But as for uh, Manga Mavericks in general, as for uh, the podcast you're listening to right now, you can find more of our podcast at all-comic.com. Or you can follow us on Facebook.com slash all.comic or on Twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. If you have any thoughts on uh, on Yusei Matsui and his uh, his works, such as uh, Supernatural's Detective Nero and, Ass- and Assassination Classroom, or uh, just anything about manga in general, uh, you can email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Please do that if you so wish. Um, and that's essentially going to be it for this episode again. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully we could do another these uh, another one of these uh, manga author spotlights in the future. But uh, stay tuned to uh, to the podcast feed here and to the website because uh, the, the episode might be over, but uh, we're not necessarily done with our... Uh, with our coverage of Yusei Matsui just yet. Um, so uh, be sure to stay tuned, uh, keep an eye out. Hopefully in the next day or two or sometime within the next week, we'll have, uh, we'll have something a little extra for you. So uh, hopefully that'll be coming up soon. And uh, also, uh, hope, hopefully everybody enjoys New York Comic Con this year. And uh, hey, tell, tell, tell Yusei Matsui we say hi, even though he probably won't have any idea who we are or what you're talking about. But from all of us here at uh, Manga Mavericks at allcomic.com, we'll see you again next time on the next episode. Bye, guys.